It's time for Twig This Week in Google. Paris Martineau is here. Jeff Jarvis, Aunt Pruitt coming up. Elon Musk says, if we charge a dollar a year to join Twitter, maybe the bots will go away. And again, maybe not. VC Mark Andreessen loses it on the internet. And thanks to MetaQuest 3, the glass holes are back. It's all coming up next on Twig. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twig. This week in Google, episode 738, recorded Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. The Deorbiting Professor. This week in Google is brought to you by Mylio. Mylio Photos is a smart and powerful system that lets you easily organize, edit, and manage years of important documents, photos, and videos in an offline library hosted on any device. And it's free! See what it has us so excited by visiting mylio.com slash twit. And by our friends at IT Pro TV, now called ACI Learning. ACI's new cyber skills is training that's for everyone, not just the pros. Visit go.acilearning.com slash twit. Twit listeners can receive up to 65% off an IT Pro Enterprise Solution Plan. Just complete the form and based on your team size, you'll see how much discount you can get. It's time for Twink This Week in Google, the show where we cover all kinds of things you can find on Google. <laughs> Hello, Jeff Jarvis. I don't Hello. have my, uh, I should have brought my card with Welcome me. I don't to have the East my. East Coast. Yeah, I'm here on the East Coast at mom's house. Uh, Jeff is, of course, the town night professor of blah, 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 Craig Nomark, Bobby Brown. Not for blah, very long, so it's fine. We can forget. Uni, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Anyway, hi, Jeff. Hi. Uh, we're we're all on the East Coast this week, except for Aunt. Aunt Pruitt is holding down the fort in beautiful Petaluma, California. And I'm told that the chicken sandwiches were awesome this uh, today. I, I had to pass on it this time because I knew I'd be filming from here today. But oh, I'll okay. go out and get my own. But thank you, Twit, for the Popeyes. Was it Popeyes? No, no, it, no, it is a local joint. I was told it was better than Popeyes. It's from a company a restaurant called Belfair that I never even heard of in Petaluma. Right. And uh, people were raving, raving about it. So yeah, I had to check that out this weekend. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're very pleased to see Paris Martineau joining us from Yay! Brooklyn. Hi, Paris. Welcome to the East Coast, Leo. Yeah, three out of four. Paris writes for the information where she covers Amazon and other big tech enterprises and you see right there on our lower third is signal number so that you can scoop her give her a listen scoop. B- big thanks go out to uh all the good twig listeners who reached out to me last week you know who you are <laughs> you got even so the last time you were on you said you'd already gotten some scoops on your signal you got even more yeah you know who would have guessed uh people who work in tech listen to this show Wow. Oh, love it. And, and of we course, know who you're not. We don't know you. We, we'll never yeah. tell. Never. Yeah, it's we true. can't. There's no way that we can find out what she's talking about, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just have to read theinformation.com, oh, unfortunately. Well, there is a way. And I'm a happy subscriber. Love the information. And that's why we love having you on. Welcome back. Uh, you know what I haven't done? I haven't looked at the uh, rundown today. <laughs> <laughs> now you yeah. know it's like to be remote. I knew there was something I forgot. There are some stories, actually breaking <laughs> stories that today, uh, apparently sources have confirmed, maybe even some of your sources, Paris, 
that Elon Musk is planning on charging a dollar per year to new accounts on X. Uh, the idea, and I think it actually makes sense, is to discourage bots. I mean, what does it cost to clear a one dollar transaction? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they that's may not make a lot of money. We charge seven dollars no. for our club and get about five out of it because there's the credit card fees and the Patreon fees. That's what I. So I, I mean, he's not. He had, I'm sure he gets a better deal than we do. But, but still. you also have to. The immediate reaction I saw is, "Oh, good. Yes, I'm going to give sensitive personal information to Elon Musk." Well, it wouldn't be you. So at least as currently constituted, it's only new accounts. I know, but it would be, I'm saying new people would say, I've got to get my credit card to Elon Musk. No, thank you. I will Maybe. also say, I'm not certain that this would stop people from creating bot accounts. Right. I mean, I remember whenever there was a time a couple of years ago for a story, I went on and kind of looked at the various different uh, services out there to buy social media engagement. And you could, you know, pay somebody... 10 or 20 bucks to have a bunch of, I guess, bot Twitter accounts, retweet your whatever, or like your post on Instagram, they could just increase those charges marginally. The reason why people are creating bots typically is to get something out of it. I don't think a dollar is going to stop most people. What about a number of people said that's exact credit cards too? you know, burner cards are easy to come by. Yeah. I mean, I would, we could use a privacy card, one of our sponsors and, have an anonymous subscription. Um, I think the more the point is, as if you if you started to charge people a nickel per email or a nickel a month for email, spam would in theory go away because the reason spam exists is it's virtually free to send uh-huh. out millions of spam emails a day. I think that's what Elon is saying is, well, you know, people aren't going to pay a buck a year for a bot, but I think you're right, Paris. That's not that much. I mean, I think it would obviously what this is going to do is put a like speed bump for creating a new Twitter account, whether you are a user that wants to have a lot of bots or just a user who wants to retweet your favorite celebrities. It's going to, for a while, slow down both of those groups of people. Only one of those groups ostensibly has like a vested financial interest in their activity on Twitter. And it's the people who are running bot networks. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's going to, I think, discourage more average users than in the long run. It would like dissuade people from getting up to no good on Twitter.com. Well, Paris, point, do you Paris, think the average oh, user is ready to come towards Twitter nowadays or are they opting to deal more with the up and coming social networks that are based here? on the course. amount of disinformation uh, on Israel Hamas on Twitter right now, it is very much a hotbed of disinformation. In fact, uh-huh. Israel has started buying ads to uh, to uh, promote its side of the d- dispute uh-huh. on X. So I think X is still an important platform for disinformation. Well, and- it's, it's the one we have. It's where journalists are. And I think it's part of what they want to reach there. But but Paris, to your point, I wonder what the relative cost is of sending out spam email and spending out actual junk mail, mail mail. Um, I think this would be cheaper. I so mean, I Matt think one dollar a year is not much. It's not, it's much, not much, right? So, and, uh, you and know, for 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 a hundred, a thousand messages to the world. Yeah, it's, it's very likely this is just the first tranche of charges, or it's just Elon. another dumb Elon idea. Yeah, it's, it's not it's very too much seriously. one. It's very much the kind of idea Elon would have. Yeah. 
I got it. Say, Eureka. Yeah, I figured this it out. Solve it all. Yeah. yeah. Matt Mullenweg, who is, of course, uh, the creator of WordPress and uh, principal at Automatic, posted on October 18th. I guess that's today. Cost of spam. Twitter is char- testing charging users a dollar a year with the idea that it will keep out bots and spam. Actually, Twitter's calling it the not a bot subscription. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matt says it's an appealing idea and charging definitely does introduce a proof of work that wasn't there before. And this is the important point. But the history of the web shows this is not really a big deterrent. Domains cost money, usually a lot more than a dollar a year, and millions are used for spam or nefarious purposes. The spammers obviously thought their benefit would be more than the cost of the domain. Or they use stolen credit cards and identities. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Charging may, co- may cause a short-term drop in bots while the bad guys update their scripts. But the value of manipulating X and Twitter is so high, imagine there's already millions of dollars being spent. Matt says, and I think actually this is the right thing. Uh, he's correct here. There's no substitute for a strong, effective trust and safety operation. Actual uh, manpower. People actual power, people. Saying. And of course, this is what Elon doesn't want to spend money on. Right. And this is what, what um, you all Roth has been out there saying. Yeah. Gotten rid of the entire operation. What do you expect is going to happen? You think right. you can do one easy thing and that's going to solve this. This is really com- People are difficult. This yeah. is, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm editing the next book right now and I'm going even overboard on just saying this is a human, the internet is a human enterprise. Everything about it that's difficult is not technology. It's not even the technology companies. It's us. People are going to exploit any open system that they can. Not everybody, only a few people who ruin it for us all. That's why we can't have nice things. It's just a few people are going to do that. And you, and it's very expensive to build up against that at scale. Siva Varignathan has said for a long time, our friend at University of Virginia, that it's a mistake to connect everybody on, on, on the earth. And I, I always disagree with Siva, but I think I finally got what he was saying. <clears throat> it's a mistake to think that one service could do it and not deal with the Mike Masnick impossibility theorem that it's really impossible to moderate human behavior at scale. On the Twit instance of Mastodon, little old Leo there can do it, but much bigger than that, no. Heck, I'm just happy that he's actually doing something about this spam and bot problem, considering that was part of his message of not buying it back in the day. Isn't um, that ironic? We're coming very close. In a week, it'll be the, the one-year anniversary year, right? yeah, of him uh, being forced it? to buy it. And he tried to get out of it, saying there's, there's too many bots. The monthly or daily active user count is, is way overinflated by bots. And it's yeah. taken him a year to come up with this solution i we will see if it works they're starting it in new zealand and the philippines newly registered accounts there must now verify their phone numbers for authentication not going to do that those who choose not to subscribe will have limited privileges restricted to read only actions so you could create a free read only account but you can't post you could read watch videos and follow accounts Um, i'm fine with that that's what my wife does she doesn't want to post anything but she reads she she knows crap ahead of me by by hours. Well, this is also in the face of news that, uh, and I don't I don't know maybe Paris if can confirm or, you know, not this information that Twitter's uh, use is plummeting, is falling dramatically. Um, and I was going to say I don't know uh, specifically. I'd have to check a few things out. But the thing that this 
uh, made me think about is Twitter is right now in an advertising crisis. Right. In part mm-hmm. because usage is down, ad views are down, and advertisers have left. You're really kneecapping the future business if you're setting up a system where every new user has to pay you a dollar to sign up. I mean, that is death for a platform. Yeah, you're right, Paris. And and, and what we hear all the time in news is if we only had micropayments, right, everything would be okay. Uh, Lex Friedman just discovered that recently. Like, oh, micropayments, if I could just pay a dollar for an article, any speed bump will drive people away. Mm-hmm. It's funny, Lex is showing his youth here because we've yeah. been saying this since the beginning oh, of the gosh. internet. I was and, every uh, three months a tech guy <laughs> discovers micropayments. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't think micropayments is a solution. And I think it's also important to point out that really the main reason advertisers are leaving X is because it's not the kind of, you can't be guaranteed, it's not a good environment. Advertisers are very sensitive to the content around their ads. Uh, we have all sorts of writers in our contracts about things that, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, you know, do this or that. Right. And if you do, we can pull the ad. Um, of course, you know, we are a good place for advertisers to be, but Twitter, you can easily see is problematic. And Twitter so, is a wonderful place for yes, ads to be. And are. please come on more of you advertisers. <laughs> I didn't say that. Twitter <laughs> and come here. It's uh, a nice, just lose a couple letters, but it's a, it's a bad place. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just lose the T E R and, and you're good. Uh, it, it if if you're not if you don't have a good environment for advertisers, people are going to leave. Now, interestingly, some of its biggest advertisers have not left Apple. In fact, people are really wondering why Apple has never left Twitter as an advertiser. Right. Uh, you know, Tim Cook famously did. He stopped posting on Twitter, but Apple, right. the company, continues. But the to company's still there yeah. because it's business. It's business. They get eyeballs there. They get attraction there. They they put up a full length. Uh, TV show that runs for about an hour and millions and millions and millions of people watch that that gum TV show on a Twitter app. It, CNBC. No, I say it's not from CNBC. The, the most recent story. The problem is Twitter is probably deceptively, but uh, at least some in some ways saying, oh, no, we're going to, you know, Linda Yaccarino, oh, we're getting more engagement. They always give a stat that's kind of not exactly the same as <laughs> how many daily or monthly active users you have. Yeah. Um, but and so we're it's always a guessing game. But people who follow this kind of stuff are generally saying Twitter's monthly active users are oh. falling and oh. they have been falling every month. And, and having more bots is not, uh, you know, obviously that's something he's got to get rid of. But I don't I honestly don't think I think I'm agreeing with you, Paris. A buck a year is not enough. It's not enough deterrence. Um, well, he's so anyway. right. He said it twice. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, those right. Leo. You're right. You had two screens of Leo there. You're double right. Oh, you did. Oh, yes. <laughs> I didn't see that. Okay. Uh, anyway, there you go. And actually, uh, that ties into the story about kids suing social media over addiction. <laughs> Miners and parents suing Meta, uh, Facebook, and other technology giants. This is from Bloomberg. For the kids' social media platform addictions, won an important ruling in California this week. A state judge Friday threw out most of the claims, but said she would allow the lawsuits to advance based on the single claim that the companies were negligent, that they somehow knew their design of the platforms would maximize miners' use and prove harmful. 
That doesn't mean she's agreeing that that's the case, just that that is the one count that can stand What did they throw out? Do you have any summary of that? It was behind a paywall, so I didn't see it. Say again? What did they throw out? What did the judge throw out? What are a couple of those um, counts? For, so first of all, there's 200 suits across the country, but oh, they've geez. all been assigned to one of two judges in California. The state court in L.A., that's who made this decision. There's a federal court in Oakland. The state court ruling applies just to the state court, obviously. Um, let's see. Let me see if she said. I didn't see what was actually thrown out in the, in the story. Yeah, it was just one of a, a number of claims. Um, I'm scanning through the Bloomberg story. Oh, here it is. The judge tossed out seven other claims in the lawsuit, including an argument that the company should be held liable for the defective design of their platforms. The concept of product liability, the judge wrote, was it's not for social networks. It was created in a different era to solve different problems. Oh, here it is. <laughs> in other my, words. My lighter <laughs> blew up on me. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, yeah. Your lighter was full of butane, but had no protections and. Well, that's reasonable. She says that's not for social media. Social media, she said, presents new challenges under the law because it's not tangible. You can't reach out and touch them. Uh, Lawyers representing minors in the similar collection of lawsuits filed in federal court are also waiting to hear what the judge says. The companies have uh, asked to dismiss the case there as well. So Superior Court of Los Angeles, yes, one count will stand and you can go to trial on this. That they designed it intentionally to be addictive. That's an interesting contention. I also like the fact that George pointed out, this is quote, George pointed out, quote, obvious inequalities between, quote, unsophisticated minors and the Internet companies who exercise total control over how their platforms are function. I like that they mentioned unsophisticated minors um, because it, it. they are businesses. These different platforms are businesses and they want you to stay on the platform for ad revenue and whatever else money that they can pull in. It, that makes sense. Um, and I think a more sophisticated individual can see that, right? Or is that just me being naive? Well, it's interesting because that's the judges saying the, that the minors were not sophisticated. So we have mm-hmm. to protect them. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, uh, as you said, the F- Facebook, Instagram, Snap, TikTok, Alphabet, via YouTube, knew the physical harms of social media were, quote, foreseeable and substantial. And uh, and what she was saying is there is a, a, a power inequality between the platforms who should know better and unsophisticated minors who are the victims. And uh, Washington Post had a story today about how to stop from doom scrolling. And I think that's pretty rich because the Washington Post and every newspaper is designed for doom scrolling <laughs> itself. <laughs> right. All of media is designed for us to come back and stay news, with it. Right. Sitcoms, everything. Uh, let's see what else. Elon Musk is facing some competition over space. Uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, sorry, Elon. Christopher Mims. Sorry, Elon. The satellites of the future are heading to space right now. New uh, competition for Starlink from uh, Amazon. Amazon launched two satellites. (laughs) (laughs) We've been waiting for this. They got the go-ahead at the same time as the FCC gave the go-ahead to uh, Starlink to launch these satellites. It's taken them a little longer to get them up. they say they're going to have thousands. Uh, they're, they're also governments. Um, public-private partnerships 
underway, according to the journal in China, Europe, Taiwan, Canada, and Germany. So I don't know how good a business Starlink is, but it will not have the business all to itself. There are two other stories that I didn't put on the rundown. One was that AT&T is trying to stop Amazon and because it'll interfere with other things. And two, that Amazon is also touting a satellite that you can put up and it can um, assemble satellites, refuel them, uh, update them and create kind of a um, space WAN for satellites. Okay. Well, as I had two uh, questions for you, Mr. Jarvis. What, one was why would, AT&T considered them interrupting something. What in particular? And number two was, was anybody even concerned about space junk or was that this week in space where that conversation came up? Wasn't the latter. It was, it was, they're trying to argue that there'd be a, uh, interference radio with interference. their signals, radio interference. Radio interference. Yeah, they're just trying to do anything to stop competition, which is what yeah, they okay. do. There's a whole department that does nothing but that. All of them with law degrees. Um, at Space Junk, I don't. I'm surprised that the sophisticated Twist hosts Tarek Malik and Rod Pyle would even bring this up because space is a very big place. It's huge, <laughs> and that was I, I believe. Yeah, because I, I TD that show, and I want to say I mentioned that on that particular episode, and um, they were they agreed with me on that, but it was more like powers that be. Uh, our government that that is was saying, hey, this something needs to be done about the equipment that's in space because of the well, there is of other there's a problem with, with that uh, are traversing space. Yeah, we talked about we talked about uh, a big fine from the FCC uh-huh. uh, for a satellite that was not properly disposed of and was was out there. So there's that one issue. You're right. There's this astronomer issue where they're seeing a lot of um, occlusion of the sky by these satellites. But so, but remember the space is big and if you took the 29,000 satellites that are currently revolving around the earth rotating around the earth is it revolving or rotating John they're doing something around the earth it's orbiting probably orbiting, orbiting. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you put them on the surface of the earth you know, if you spread 29,000 people on the si- entire surface That's of the a earth lot of junk. you wouldn't run into another person very often <laughs> Okay, uh, it, I know space is big and the satellites are small in comparison to it, but also they're just going to be up there orbiting forever, and then we're going to add more. It, I don't know. Seems, well, they seems they they are like, able to deorbit them. Uh, as do they have SpaceX. another robot for that? It was one of the Amazon robots? No, that actually, and uh, and Elon responded to this with SpaceX with the Starlink satellites by giving them thrusters, and they can when they're done, and they do have a limited life, uh, they can either thrust to a higher orbit or or decelerate oh, i like deorbit that's what i'm doing in my career at the end of the year <laughs> you're deorbiting it <laughs> emeritus deorbitus when, when we were uh when we were at uh lunch with mom at her old age home uh one of her uh, compatriots who's got to be at least 80 or 90 said you know i because ha- mom goes around saying how famous i am and she <laughs> ross said i had my daughter look you up and it said you're retired <laughs> or should be i should have told her no i was just deorbited it's okay <laughs> um, uh where were we anyway elon musk oh, facing co- i think it's a good thing i think one of the problems i have with starlink you know at the time before it launched we all said oh this is going to be great we're going to put satellite uh, internet access in every corner of the earth uh it'll really i thought make a big difference 
in areas where there isn't good connectivity, uh, not so much for the yeah. first world, but the developing nations. Yeah. But he charges so damn much for it that it's not even really uh, economically viable for many people in the U.S. So is it a fair, the, uh, it a fair cost for him as a company to charge what he's charging? Sorry, Ms. Paris. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Go ahead. What is, is um is it a fair fee that he's charging based on you know what his company is well the out journal there? says he's not going to make a lot of money <laughs> he's not making a lot of money he charges what is it it's 450 500 bucks to get the gear and then it's 129 it was a hundred dollars a year and i think it's gone up above that oh a month okay. i'm sorry not a year a month for the internet access that's a lot that's a lot yeah that's a lot um, but, but apparently it's not, money. It's, he may be losing money and that's actually an interesting that's, thing. That's the standard. The priority is 250 to 1500 a month for 40 to 220 megs. Oh wow. no. I mean, I get, we get uh fiber here much faster than Starlink for 60 bucks a month. Yeah. Paris, sorry, Paris, you were going to say, I, I, I jumped in. There. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, it makes sense then that the most I've heard people using Starlink is at Burning Man. <laughs> Burning Man and the Crimea. So that's, you know. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the two genders. And the Wall Street Journal says uh, ships at sea, right? Yeah. Uh, but they also say it must be said for most people in the developed world, terrestrial internet is already pretty good. Yeah. And with the expansion of fiber and 5G getting better all the time. So the res one appropriate response to the promise of all this internet bandwidth, says the journal. Is essentially how big a deal is this really? Uh, they quote Tim Farrar, president of Tim Farrar Associates. You know, he should be the president of that. Uh, it's an interesting <laughs> coincidence, though. There are a few Elon Musk okay, fans out there, says Tim Farrar of Tim Farrar Associates. But in general, the economics of satellite Internet are not as good as, say, 5G wireless on the ground. I mean, the promise was you were going to connect the unconnected. Um, but well, I, was the latest number I saw is like 5 billion yeah. people have some connection to the internet right now. And the population of earth is about 8 billion. So, yeah. and how many of those can afford this? Yeah, there's, if a billion, if, if you've got a market of a billion people, that's not peanuts. Right now, Starlink has about 2 million subscribers, uh, which is frankly kind of bad news for all those other people launching. Oh, he was going to have like 20 million. He was going to have a huge number. He's one tenth what he had expected yes. back in 2015. Right. Um, so anyway, don't know what there is to say about that. Um, I think it's good to have competition, frankly. I mean, Google Fiber did yeah, a world money. of good to by by threatening <laughs> to put fiber in people's towns. And that brought prices down and brought uh, Verizon and AT&T and others in to put in yep. fiber themselves. So competition is good in this space. And that's one thing that telecommunications companies hate. And have fought against. And as you said, AT&T don't like it either. Are you ready for the uh, Netflix store in your... I bet you there'll be one in Brooklyn. Oh, uh, sure. Williamsburg, at the very yeah, least. Yeah, Williamsburg. Yeah. Netflix to open store where fans can play, shop, and eat. It'll be called Netflix House. <laughs> H-A-U-S or with an E at the end? H-O-U-S-E. Oh. Uh, initial locations in the U.S. will be followed by global expansion. But for some reason, this is from Bloomberg. Don't get your hopes up. For some reason, it won't be till 2025. <laughs> Not next year, but the year after. 
Hey, and Netflix Netflix house isn't built in a day, you know? 2025 would get here and this will all be forgotten. Yeah, this was a bad idea. No, Uh, I tried to propose a TV Guide theme park when I was a TV Guide. (laughs) Wait a minute. What would it have? Lousy crossword puzzles and brief (laughs) capsules of... No, the shows. The shows. Oh, Oh, I see. Yeah, well, they're going to do a squid game obstacle course. Did you send anybody down to the Google uh, Visitor Center? Talking to me? Yeah, you. Twit. You cover the world technology. You have a show about Google. Like who? Send Send the correspondent down. Would you go down? Send Jeff. Jeff, do you want to go down? Actually, I'll be be going down there when I'm in the Where is it? It's at the in the in the big tinny thing, the, the HQ. Look it up. Look it up. It's got it's got what are you talking um, about the big tinny thing. The, the the new headquarters building thing. Oh right, right. Yeah. What do yeah, they it, have? It, it oh, looks all, all like kinds of great. It looks things. like circus tents. Oh, down I'll go here. down. Sure, I'll volunteer. I'm over there. Hold on, let's look it up here. The, the visitor experience. Welcome. Will to they Google? have a Squid Game Ooh, obstacle visitor course? experience? <laughs> Five you things you can do. What do you think? Experience. What? Tell me. Learn something or meet someone new at an event. Nope. Not <laughs> Go on an artwork scavenger hunt. Uh-uh. Get Ooh. a taste of the Google at the Google Cafe. However, you have to pay, you poor schmuck. A taste of Google. Discover and support cafe, local you, businesses not, at yeah. the pop-up shop. And pop-up. number five, experience how our hardware products and services work together. At the Google store. Unless, of course, you have Google Workspace, but I won't go into that right now. Why do companies do this? <laughs> what is, is this? A, is this this is a, a zero interest rate phenomenon. Uh, <laughs> free money. <laughs> like this is this is something that will not be happening for the next couple of years. Uh, that tent. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. Well, that like tent is there. I mean, that tent that. is there. They're not building another tent. No. no. <laughs> uh Netflix House is going to also have a mix of retail, dining, and live live experiences. When you say Netflix and chill to somebody, you don't say, "Hey, let's go down, let's go down to the Netflix House." I got to tell you, Mister Laporte, that is so twenty twenty. What you Netflix just said. and chill people don't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah, that that that. What do they do, Paris? You're young. Doom school. Did you- Doom school. <laughs> you sit at home. Lonely, you sit at home sad, and be eating, upset. A, eating ice cream out of the container and doom scrolling. Yeah. Yeah. Eat That's vegan what we did Froyo. too. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my generation did. Except we didn't have doom scrolling. We had a channel surf. I was going to say channel. you're passing stone tablets back and forth solemnly. That's us. It just scrolls like we such took a bad idea. <laughs> Do them scrolled. Yeah. It was and, scrolls. And rolled them, yes. Turn the scrolls. Uh, Netflix just, has been doing this. They've been experimenting with pop-up fan experiences uh, for a couple of years. Uh, oh, the word experience. Oh, yeah. 40 of them in 20 cities around the world, including the Queen's Ball, a Bridgerton experience, and that of drinks and <laughs> dancing inspired by Bridgerton. That's traveled around, actually. A pop-up Netflix store at the Grove Shopping Mall in Los Angeles. Did you ever, uh, Paris, go to any of those Instagram pop-ups like the ice? What was there, an ice cream? 
No, I never mm. did. I see them. There was a, a museum of ice cream. That's what it was. A museum. Of I ice did cream. Uh, see for a while. I believe Netflix had a Stranger Things experience at the Brooklyn Navy Yard near me. A fact I only know because when I would be going to, uh, I took woodworking classes there at night for a while, and it was very ominous because they had part of the building lit up with the neon red Stranger Things lights, Ooh. so it looked very spooky <laughs> to bike by at night. But would you go into the under, what do they call it? The under, underworld, underland, Un- something, had. you know, yeah. I want to say underdark, but that's from D and D. So that's probably not it. Yeah. Um, I could see for Halloween, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of like universal studios, Halloween horror nights or something like yeah. that. I don't really understand from a brand perspective. What is this? The upside down for a company, the upside, the upside down. down. You're right. The demo Gorgon. Yeah, uh, that would yeah. be cool. That'd be fun. Yeah, temporarily in the horror though. house. Temporarily, I think, I think we need the Twig basis. experience. That's true. We do need the Twig. We need yeah. the Twig experience. Yeah, the Twig experience. Yeah, what would the Twig generally. experience be? You come in, you expect Google, and you get something else. <laughs> you, you play <laughs> with a little puppy. <laughs> Hang out at Leo's big desk yeah. and see a wall of 75 cell phones that you once owned. You haven't. The oh, there it is. That's it right here. there. That's the there it is. The Twit experience, guys. A ladder a ladder and move a light? Yeah. <laughs> you can sit in Leo's actually... chair that nobody else likes. Yeah, oh, I don't even we can put your thing. face on a screen next to Leo. I made yeah. my mom. She might be watching right now. I set up YouTube live on her TV. Hi, said, mom. Be at your house. You can see your house. And she said, she was talking about the leather chair I sit in at the studio. She said, you need to get some leather care products on that thing. It's really bad. <laughs> She's right. She's right. She's right. Uh, as so, John, get right on that, will you? Um, All right, let me take a little break and um, talk about a sponsor. Then we'll be back. We're having fun, aren't we? There's lots of news, and uh, we've got a great panel. Paris Martineau joining us from The Information. Wonderful to have you here once again, Aunt Pruitt. uh, He is our community manager in the club as well as the host uh, on this show. And you also do, people don't know, behind the scenes, you do floss and you Mm -hmm. do uh, twists. TD, twists, twiet, and floss. Yeah. You do a good job with all of that. Thank you. Thank you, Ant. And of course, Jeff Jarvis. No one really knows what he I, does. No, no. Emeritus. <laughs> he is. <laughs> he is in the, uh, what, what What did you say? Deorbited. I'm deorbited. <laughs> the deorbited <laughs> professor. I'm, I'm, of, I'm like Skylab. <laughs> I'm soon going to be black junk on the ground. <laughs> Our show today is brought to you by Miley. Oh, I love this company and I love this product and I want you to try it. It's absolutely free. Milio Photos. It's a smart, powerful system that lets you easily organize, edit, and manage years of not just photos, but all your documents, videos too, in an, in a library that, by the way, is not necessarily in the cloud. You can host it locally on any device, totally free for a device. And, and, and I always get nervous when people say, oh, it's free. Like, well, okay, but you need to make money, right? So there is a Mylio Plus and you get the, you could try it for free on your computer, on your phone, works on Mac, Windows. It works on iOS and Android. And then if you decide you like it, you can subscribe to the Plus very affordably. That's what I did immediately because then you can have your photos everywhere. And you could choose between thumbnails, optimized, and original photos stored on all your devices. But here's where they're not stored. They're not stored in Google's cloud. They're not stored in Apple's cloud. They're not stored in Microsoft's cloud. They're stored 
on your devices. Now, if you want to back them up, you can. I have them on my Synology NAS. There is even encryption built into Milo, Milo that allows you to encrypt it and then store it on these clouds without any privacy concerns. I love that. It's the solution for digital management. Photos, videos, yes, documents. You can have it automatically upload. You can attach it to your Instagram account, Facebook account, Flickr account. I took all my photos from Google Photos out in Google Takeout, and it can import them automatically. It auto, it can dedupe them so you don't have duplicates. It was the best way I could find to go to all the different places I've been putting my pictures all these years, collect them into one library, deduplicate them. And now I know for the first time ever, I have 200,000 plus photos unique photos from my whole you know history of recording of recorded time in my Milio library that is awesome i mean that is incredible and now you might say well 200,000 photos how do you find anything Milio has all sorts of ai features built in to do automatic face recognition not in the cloud but on your device they also have fantastic tagging smart tags that will use ai to find specific things like uh you know uh, bicycles for for uh, Paris, uh, woodworking. Uh, you can also have activities, camping, uh, swimming pools. It does this all automatically, and you can use those tags to find whatever you want. Now, they've just added something. This is one of the other things about love about Milio is it's in constant development. We knew about this for a while. We weren't able to tell you. I can tell you now they've just added spaces. The spaces tool lets you determine what's visible and what's not, which means you can now collaborate at work or with the family and people can see what you want them to see, but not see what you don't want them to see. Custom categories in a quick collection that's easy to share. So uh, photo users, Mylio photo users can collaborate on editing, managing, even sharing media in any given space. I am absolutely, this is a huge new feature that I'm going to use with my family, uh, my extended family too, because I could say, hey, here's all the pictures of us. Uh, and you don't get to see the pictures, my other pictures, which is great. Spaces can be private. You can password protect them, pin protect them. Uh, you get extra security when you're sharing your spaces. I have been blown away by Milio Photos. It's the tool I've been looking for ever since Google bought Picasa and put it out of business. But it's so much more. And as I said, you can even have it automatically add from your documents folder. So I have it pulling in all my Google photos, all my Flickr photos, my Instagram photos, my Facebook photos, my Macintosh photos, all into one library, sorted, tagged, optimized, no cloud storage required. Offline storage means I don't have to worry about privacy concerns. I don't have to rely on the cloud to keep files accessible. They'll actually sync from my phone to my desktop, to my other phone, to my other desktop. It is fantastic. And now with spaces, private password protected spaces. I just think this is great. Uh, I want the best thing to do though. It's hard for me to describe what this could do until you try it. It may be confusing. So just download it. It's free and see what's getting me so excited. This is the tool I've been looking for. Mylio, M-Y-L-I-O, Mylio Photos. It's on your computer. It's on your mobile device. You could put it anywhere you want and use it to your heart's content for free. And then if you want to put it on multiple things, there's a there's a subscription for that. Mylio.com slash twit. M-Y-L-I-O.com slash twit. Download Mylio Photos for free right now at Mylio.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support of this week at Google. Thank you, Mylio. Uh, back we go. Paris Martineau. Great to have you. Aunt Pruitt. Jeff Jarvis. Um... Gosh, I don't know uh, where to go next. 
Threads there is. got an edit button. Andreessen's crazy. What's what's Andreessen up to? Oh, you didn't, yeah, I wanted you didn't to hear your thoughts this? on that. It was so daggum long. I got bored through it. <laughs> so <laughs> Mark Andreessen, who we should explain, was at uh, NCSA Urbana and wrote the first uh, browser where, with a team called Netscape, later left to found Mozilla. Uh, was it Mozilla? No, Netscape. No, I'm sorry. I take it back. Take it back. Take it back. Rewind. He what was the browser he wrote when he was at NCA uh, NCSA? Um, what was it called? It's I I know this I know this. It was this it was one of the early browsers. He then left and started Netscape, and actually started charging people for it. It was a huge billion dollar um, or Mosaic. Mosaic, thank you. I keep saying Mozilla. Mosaic. Google so says was, you're welcome. Yeah. So uh, and then he took all his money. And started a venture capital firm, Andreessen Horowitz, uh, and has been very active in crypto and other areas. What is he? What is he on about now? So he did. You read it, Paris? Did you see it? I did. Yeah. What did you think? So why don't you describe it? I think you should go through it. I'm I'm still processing it. Honestly, I read it before the show, and it, it is. He long. started out saying things that was sort of. Like common sense to me, right. and I'm like, right. why are people all is this, up in arms? Is this his manifesto? Yes, the techno optimist manifesto. Yeah, so he goes through basically this is, saying, "This is what you've been talking about with Tescriel, right?" Well, it, it's not quite Tescriel, but there's little pieces of it here, and there's a few ironies to it. So he goes through basically saying, "Technology solves everything. Markets solve everything. No, Don't no. mess with us, and everything will be wonderful. No. And we have to grow, grow, grow. And um, we are a techno capital machine." And Capitalism will fix everything. Capitalism right. will put us on every planet in the universe. We're going to have a population of like fifty billion. Was that right? Yes, that's the that's the that's the uh, long termism view. Yeah, is that we're going to tend to the fifty eighth uh, human beings in the future, becoming yeah. technological supermen. Notice the gender there. Um, but then he says the enemy. So I mean, I could agree. It's like like Ant. It was like it was like throwing a dart. At a barn door, there are things to agree with here. Right. That technology can be good. That we we can try to solve problems in life. I mean, not fine. I'll salute those flags. But then he gets to: we have enemies. Our enemies are not bad people, but rather bad ideas. Our Ooh. this is this is the laundry list. You will believe he throws everything into one, uh, making them all equivalent. Our present society has been subjected to a mass demoralization campaign for six decades against technology and against life. He just always goes overboard under varying names like first one is existential risk. Okay. So there he's going against his test boys because that's their thing is how AI is going to ruin mankind. And he says, no. So in that case, he disagrees with them. Then he, the next thing is sustainability. Like sustainability is bad. Oh boy. Uh, ESG sustainable development goals. Watch out those Davos commies, uh, social responsibility, social responsibility is an enemy. Uh, stakeholder capitalism, precautionary principle, trust and tech safety. Ethics an enemy. is an enemy. <laughs> is an enemy. Trust and safety are enemies. Tech ethics, risk management, degrowth. Oh, same as deorbiting. I would imagine he'd consider an enemy. And the limits of growth. This is sentence number three in the section. The enemy. <laughs> by, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> it the goes a lot. Word yeah. manifesto, which oh. you know, I mean. Luther had 95 theses, but 5,200 words is pretty long for a manifesto. Oh, yeah. By the way, by the way, he blames the enemy. He basically says it's zombie ideas many divide from communism. Yeah. Jesus. They also so, mentioned 1984 in here, of course. We hit talk it. Talk about a zombie enemy. 
Communism, really? Our this enemy is, is stagnation. Our enemy is anti-merit, anti-ambition, yeah. anti-striving, anti-achievement, anti-greatness. The enemy is statism, authoritarianism. Okay, they're already with him about that. He's got a lot Collectivism, of stuff here. Central planning, a lot socialism. Oh, he's yeah, just wow. everything. Every, this is why he blocks everyone on Twitter. My main takeaway from this... Oh, yeah, I'm blocked by him on Twitter. Hey, but my main takeaway from this is that he needs an editor. Um, and that this is <laughs> yes. why people shouldn't be allowed to just publish whatever they want straight onto the internet. Because you end up with some... This is like the, the first draft of a first draft. In fourth grade. Well, there's, yeah. something else, there's something else you end up doing. <laughs> and he has ended up doing, which is revealing your true motivations. Unwittingly... He's really telling us the enemy is anybody that will keep me from becoming yes. as rich as I possibly can. Yes. And this yeah. is really the, who Mark Andreessen is. And uh, that's that's effective say. altruism. And that's Tess Creole. And that's that's the belief this, that we know best. This is essentially a venture capitalist, uh, one of the billionaire cronies. I don't know if he's a billionaire, but he thinks a billionaire oh, wannabe, yeah. if not, uh, who say, you know, stop getting in our way. This is Larry Page saying we need a Google Island where nobody gets in our way. No permission. He so, he names the patron saints of techno optimism. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite Buck, Mister Fuller, Clayton Christensen. I love Bucky. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, people Bertrand like Russell. here. Uh, Nietzsche, um, Adam Smith. Uh, okay, you know I, this is just you, you're right, Paris. It, it's almost a, a brain dump. Yeah, and, and not a yeah. not a written uh, manifesto, a, a, making a cause for something. So Paris, I wanted to bring this up cause I'm, I'm curious since you, you don't, you're not in the West coast. Good for you. But since what you cover point. is, cause you're out here now with Leo in God's country, the East. Coast, <laughs> That's where true. We're meant to live where we don't have earthquakes and mudslides and all the things with God trying to tell you to get out. No, we're here mm-hmm. in the no, nice just, East coast. Just, just tornadoes and hurricanes. That's all. Not often, not often. Yeah. Um, how, with this, with Tess Creel, with the craziness of Musk, I mean, I worked at People Magazine. I, I covered celebrities, right? Uh, I wrote cover stories about Mr. T and John DeLorean, right? So I, I've been around those people. But this is a whole weird kind of celebrity. How do you, as the, as the information, deal with these personalities? It's difficult and i i wouldn't say it's like difficult <laughs> on a day-to-day basis no. but it is it's something that i because i am not on the west coast physically surrounded by it on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis that i sometimes forget the extent to which a lot of people live in that bubble um for instance, I was reporting a story earlier this year on this company, uh, like a healthcare startup called CareRev. It ended up being a story about how kind of the it, the startup essentially does kind of like Uber, but for nurses, the details of it aren't really important. Essentially, I haven't heard the, Uber for in a long time. That's a I know nice it's it, you know it, it's a I real good throwback. That. But <laughs> essentially, the CEO is kind of one of those uh, tried to be like an almost Elon Muskian type, but a little more off kilter, said a lot of things about disregarding healthcare regulations, bragged to his employees about being on LSD during uh, fundraising and like doing drugs at work, that sort of stuff. End up publishing this story. He gets uh, pushed out by the board before it hits published. But as part of it, I have to call up a bunch of the investors and be like, hey, you know, we're publishing this story. The CEO said that when he raised tens of millions of dollars from you, um, he was on LSD. Do you have any comment? And one of the, uh, one of the 
people called me right back. Um, wow. I'm forgetting his name, but it's certainly in the story and said the equivalent of why would we even call me about this? This is an absolute ridiculous article, a hit piece. Like no one cares if people do drugs while fundraising. This is the least of my worries. And it was just one of those moments where oh. I was like, why are you one? Why are you calling to tell me this on the record? But two, do you live in that much of a bubble that you think that this is an appropriate thing to say to a journalist in a story about someone's wrongdoings? I mean, so those are the kind of moments where this comes up for me is I just often come face to face with the people in this echelon live in a different world than most of us. How, how about their pronouncements like this when, when sometimes they're just knocking futs? Um, how, how do you deal with having to treat them seriously? Because these are people you cover all the time and have, let's be honest, access to and um, are, are working in um, Here's the companies problem. that matter. Here's the problem. Mark Andreessen, like a lot of people, was very lucky. Oh, yeah. Uh, and because he was lucky, he believes that he knows the answer. <laughs> what he doesn't understand is he was just lucky. It was just the right place at the right time. Basically, it was a coder who wrote the first browser and got uh, Jim Clark to take him on and and they had a big IPO. He made a lot of money. And now he can walk around. I love Amanda Silberling's take on this. She's going to be on Twitter on Sunday, so we'll ask her about it on TechCrunch. When was the last time Mark Andreessen talked to a poor person? Uh, <laughs> venture capitalist Mark Andreessen posted a manifesto calling for techno-optimism in a frenzied 5,000-word blog post that somehow manages to reinvent Reaganomics, propose the colonization of outer space, and unironically answer a question with the phrase QED. <laughs> uh, yeah, good takedown, Amanda. Well written. So Dave uh, Karp, who, who's doing a great project, he's an academic doing a great project, reading every issue of Wired to, to cover that. I think we should have that's an interesting story that. too, talking oh, about techno optimism. But right. but he so he he just tweeted and he said, if any podcaster out there wants me to come on and 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 make fun of Mark Andreessen, I'm here for you. Oh, so Jason is going to have on Tech News Weekly. <laughs> David Karp, definitely. Uh, by the way, uh, as uh, Silberlin points out on uh, TechCrunch. Uh, Mark's uh, venture firm, which he shortens to A16Z, is investing in increasingly in defense companies, including Palmer Lucky, another man who is extremely lucky and thinks he's brilliant. Palmer Lucky's controversial startup, Andoril, which manufactures something we all need, autonomous weapons. Uh, he also points out that regulating AI is is murder. He says, uh, <laughs> of course, of course, murder, not AI. like, not like, uh, you know, autonomous weapons. Those aren't murder. No, 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 no. It's so confusing. Is AI going to murder us or is stopping it murdering it? I don't I don't understand. I'm so he's confused. also reinvented trickle down economics, which last time I checked was pretty much discredited. Uh, he says, just let the rich get richer and uh, then everybody yeah. will win. I, That's I honestly altruism. think. What you're really seeing here, in a way, I'm glad he wrote this without an editor, is deep down, these guys, and there are many of them, believe they're rich because they're brilliant. They're smarter than everyone else. And anyone who gets in the way of them getting richer uh, is is uh, evil. And I, you know. You know, you have other people who are optimistic. about. I, I, I like Reid Hoffman. He's very much an optimist about technology. He defends technology. He thinks it's going to solve problems. But he doesn't go over that edge. 
this is going over the edge. You know, I've I've never been a fan of Mark Andreessen, frankly. Um, but this is really this is really the lowest. Uh, but it's good because we now see him for what he is. I I hope Elon yeah. would write something like this. Oh no! Uh, I don't want to read that. Oh, I don't want to have to read that. I mean, well, it's similar to how... a lot of these uh, Sam Bankman-Fried emails that have come yeah. out. Over yeah, the exactly. This. You just see, like, mm. he a lot of the writings that we're seeing uh, come out from. He writes in the same way that someone who's trying to sound smart does. I mean, there is very <laughs> little to no substance there, yeah. but they're using the sort of syntax that they think conveys meaning. There's a there. And Teresa's doing the same thing. If if you say it strongly enough and with enough conviction, it must be true. And he thinks adding a few exclamation marks to a statement makes it true. Well, the other problem too is that me. You know, I'm a fake academic. I'm not a real academic. I just play one on TV. You know what, podcasting. Jeff? You can't say that anymore. You've been a professor for how many years? I'm a fake academic. <laughs> I'm a fake. Still. I, don't have, I have a bachelor's degree, for God's sakes. At least I finished my bachelor's degree, and that's the point. Is you have yeah. people like like Zuckerberg and 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 I mean, I think Andreessen also finished his bachelor's. At least he was a graduate student oh, when he did. Yeah, he was. Sake, so. But but they think they've taken one one survey course in the humanities. And they read a little Plato, and they can spout out about all this. Um, and you're free to do so. That's fine. But I wish that media would also call the scholars who actually do study this stuff, and do think it through, and provide some context to this. I, I also um, think that people who really uh, think hard and are smart and are thinkers are not so cocksure. Yes. Uh, yes. I think it's often a mark of somebody who ha who hasn't really thought deeply that they are sure that their opinions are right. The more you know, I think, the less you you realize, the less you know. The smarter you are, the more complicated things are, more subtlety there is in the world, and it's very hard to make these blanket statements. This comes out of uh, ignorance and lack of experience. Now he probably. Would hate it if we say that. I, oh, I, he'd I, block I, you if you're not already blocked. I, I, yeah. I, I'm blocked. Why did Paris you get blocked, Paris? Uh, what, what, did you say something? I think something he or? was blocking all the reporters at Wired for some uh, reason okay. when I was there. I don't really remember except for one time I was just blocked. Yeah. I know he doesn't like me because when I was, this is back in 94, 1994, in the previous century, Wow. When I was on uh, MSNBC's <laughs> show, The Site. Oh, long ago. I, uh, oh, <laughs> uh, Netscape was offering a paid browser, which was the number one browser. Uh, but Microsoft released Internet Explorer 3.0 and released it for free. And I said, uh, you know what? It's over for Netscape. Microsoft is now releasing a competent browser for free, as it should be. And I think Netflix should just fold up shop. And I was Netscape. told later Netscape. that Mark Andreessen was watching and came screaming down the hall and said, who the hell is this guy? But I was right, <laughs> by the way. Netflix, yeah. it was only a year or two later, Netflix did fold up Netscape. shop. Netscape. Netscape. Netflix is fine. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if Netflix is fine, but yeah, Netscape maybe, definitely. Maybe Mark should have tried a uh, Netscape house. That could have <laughs> changed it all. So he hates me. He blocked me in a pre-social media day. Let's put it that way. So I was out there um, with when I worked for, for the new houses for Advance early on. And don't forget that Netscape also had a, a server business. Until Apache Apache killed their server business. Oh, interesting. They were doing web servers. And at Advance, we used a company called Open Market in Cambridge, Mass. 
and they were competing with Netscape. And we had a chance to invest in them, or we had the chance to invest in Netscape. And my boss, Steve Newhouse, said, should we invest in Netscape? And I kind of said, I don't know. And he said, well, the test is, if we invest, will they give us better, more service, better attention? I said, no. So we didn't invest. We did invest in open market. It deorbited fast. <laughs> uh, but um, there's actually a great book about Netscape and their IPO called The New New Thing. Uh, by Michael Lewis, of uh -huh. all people. This is before his, one of, before his deorbiting. Yeah, before he deorbited. But really, one, a great book about Jim Clark. And mostly the main thing I remember from it is that uh, Jim Clark was with it in a um, economic battle with, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Larry Ellison uh, for the tallest yacht. Right. And, <laughs> and Jim Clark built a yacht with a taller mast by three feet. And Larry Ellison, thereby winning, but also losing because it was too tall to get under the bridge. And he couldn't get out of San Francisco Bay without dismantling it. Anyway, I think I remember Poor that correctly. <laughs> yeah. so uh, I do recommend the book. It was a great, uh, it was, it was, uh, I think what Lewis is, is Jim Clark now? Do I know? Well, he's enjoying his money, no doubt, because this On was, the, this was one of the first big tech IPOs. And a very successful IPO, as I remember. He's 79. Uh, Market Watch called it the IPO that launched an era before Baidu, before Google, before eBay, Webvan, or Amazon. There was Netscape. August 9th, 1995, that was the day shares of Netscape Communications, makers of the first widely adopted internet browsing software, more than doubled. They had a big pop on the first day of public trading. Uh, and made some people, including, I'm sure, Mark Andreessen and definitely Jim Clark, very, very wealthy. And it was it was really when people said, oh, technology, that might, yeah. that might be a good investment. Well, it's, it's a question, too, whether the, the original wealth, you know, it's like Trump going through daddy's money. Would the original wealth have been enough to make him as wealthy as he is now? Or is it because once you become well-known, all the deal, uh, yeah, you get deal flow, flow goes yeah. to you? Um, and, um, market watch also points out the seeds of Netscape's demise were planted a year at later. So actually I said 94, it was 96 when the Microsoft came out, better. August 96, they came out with the 94 is when Netscape came out. Yeah. 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 So two years later, uh, yeah, I wasn't on uh, the site until uh, the 96. Uh, and eventually the Microsoft's improved version crushed its, I can't remember paying for Netscape. How did you pay? You bought it in the store in a box. Jeez. <laughs> it, was, it was the year when you bought software in a box. Yeah. Shrink wrap. Yeah. Wow. Um, so not quite before my time, but I don't remember buying. I wish I'd saved that box. No. Do you remember um, O'Reilly used to sell a thing called Internet in a Box? Yeah, yeah. Paris, watch out. We're going into grandpa time. Here. Please tell me. What, what, what was Internet in a Box? Uh, Internet in a Box, which is hysterical now when yeah. we think about it. Um, it contained, a, I think, a copy of Mosaic or maybe, when did, when did it when did it come out? Maybe it was, maybe it was Netscape. Uh, it also contained a book, a guide to the Internet. Um, and I think... Oh. It was like 
Oh, it was hysterical. I have been wanting to, this is probably going to kill you guys. I've been wanting to buy off of eBay old guides to the internet that are just like lists of oh, URLs. Yeah. Yes. I think that, that yes. is so fascinating. <laughs> I just, I want to look at all of them. I'm sure I'll they don't exist anymore. Know. Well, you Young can get lady. the internet in a box on Amazon right now for 75 bucks. 75 bucks, bucks yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It was not that expensive when it came out. So but it does so require Paris? an IBM or compatible mm. 386. A mouse, four <laughs> megabytes of RAM, a disk drive, and DOS 3.0 or Windows 3.1. 9,600 baht. Hey, you can get it for uh, $25 on eBay. It's sealed you new in box. Whoa. Oh, now, we should have, actually, we should go get that because yeah. that would be a great thing to have in the studio. It would. It would. Yeah. So, Paris? It's part of the Twit experience. Yeah, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm old enough to remember when I had, one of my proudest achievements is I had a few websites of the day can oh. you imagine that there was that we could we could back in that day there were so few of them that they, people would come out and they say i'm gonna look at every web new website and i'm gonna pick one that is the website of the day and i had a few oh, of them. i gotta correct myself this was what? so long ago that you got a copy a licensed copy of mosaic that uh, air mosaic plus air mail air news <laughs> air telnet air <laughs> go for an ftp <laughs> network file manager <laughs> And you all, it was made with Spry. Do you remember Spry Internet? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, they were an early ISP. Uh, and you would get InterServe's dial-up access. So it was a complete, everything you needed. And it included, oh, ah, here it is. Ed Kroll's whole Internet user's guide and catalog, <laughs> 1993, which just like you wanted, Paris, had links. Everything. Typed. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm going to buy this. Typed in links to the sites you need to to visit it's amazing perfection perfection Ugh. i'm gonna buy you those, those were the lovely much? early hopeful bucks. days i'm gonna buy it that's awesome so that's those yeah they were yeah, was, that was the thing i remember i think it was uh i can't remember it was a maybe the west coast computer fair where o'reilly had a booth and they had just stacked up on a table Internet in the box boxes, like hundreds of them. Like everybody's going to be using this thing sometime soon. Do you guys remember like the first website you ever made? Yes. What was, what it? was it? Mine was, um, it was, a, I hate, so I mean, we need to learn how to do it. So it was early 95. Um, it was a weather site called Rain or Shine where you could get five day forecasts for anywhere because I was sick of TV stretching out until you got to the damn five-day forecast, which is all you wanted. So I wanted to undercut them and put up just five-day forecasts. We sold it to AccuWeather for, for, for a lifetime license to their feed for our news sites. The second Arizona, side I, I guess put up, your first was on MySpace. Um, my first, I think, was I made like a simple website for a middle school council race or something oh, like that. Oh, perfect. It perfect like for a, Paris. Yeah, I like so some like smart. basic HTML stuff. Yeah. My dad helped me buy my first URL. You know. oh, what was the what URL? Was the URL? Voteforparis.com? It was something like that. It was like Paris for Prez or something like that. <laughs> I don't think it exists anymore. <laughs> So uh, the Wayback Machine has one of my earliest websites. I don't know if it was the first from 1997. Uh, the Laporte Report. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'd be really proud wow. of that one, huh? <laughs> uh, that sounds like Colbert. Yeah. Uh, among the topics on the radio, Apple announces CEO 4.0. 
uh, an interview with Bennett Hazelton of Peacefire. He was a teenager who was getting around internet blocking software that a lot of families were trying to use to keep their kids from going online. The sound effect of the week was Why a Duck. The website of the week was Mac OS Rumors. Mm. And uh, TV listings watch special coverage on the year 2000 bug on the site on MSNBC, which was the TV show I used to do at that time. But I'm thinking that probably that was not my first site. It's the first one on the first one I could find on the Internet Archive. Paris, you should look for yours on the Internet Archive. Yeah. Radar Science says it's there, but I can't, it won't come up. I don't remember my URL, but I knew it was through the GeoCities service. GeoCities. Oh, Geocities. yeah. Do you make a little GeoCities profile? Under, I don't know. What was it about? Was it a, was yeah, it a I fan think thing? it was Football. fairly random. I, I want to say it was fairly random. I remember the name behind it was my, my username was physique because my teammates used to call me physique I remember, that's that's about all i remember was geo cities oh and halle berry halle berry must have been on there somewhere too <laughs> but did you have as i did on my first site a rotating animated gif of the globe whoa i did not do that i do remember that being pretty cool but i did not yeah, do that i had that on my site i did just to show you that uh, you could get to this page anywhere. You know, the path from from that to artificial general intelligence, we've lived it. You know, <laughs> we've seen it all. <laughs> I feel like one of those old folks who remember seeing Orville and Wilbur sail over the dunes, and now I'm flying in a jet plane. <laughs> jammed you know. in between a really big guy in shorts <laughs> and a little old lady with a very sharp elbow. They, they didn't a- upgrade you, huh? I had, I, I, you got to remember when you fly Southwest to get in early, check in early. I only yeah, checked that's in key six. Thing. Yeah. I only checked, you can check in, I think, 24 hours before your flight leaves, right? I waited till 16 hours before my flight leaves. And oh, I'm in the last group. Uh, oh, yeah. That's a rude move. Amateur. Oh, really? Big mistake. Oh, teens, modern day teens. How much do you, how many time, how many hours on the internet did you spend when you were in middle school, Paris? <laughs> I don't know. Probably none. Was, probably nothing. close to zero. I mean, no, I probably spent a good amount of time. I was really into writing fan fiction when I oh, was in middle school. Wow. So I oh. would uh be, you know, blogging and writing and reading a bunch so of stuff. So you were a writer at, at I was, you know. L- yeah. Little did I know that uh the three thousand word posts I made about anime boys would uh, turn into a career <laughs> in journalism. But here we are. Was what was the fan fiction? Was it all anime or um Anime, different cartoon shows. Uh, nice. Yeah. I don't, Great way to write. Jam it. it was a Wait. really good way to write. It was also just like a really fun, I feel like a very fun time on the internet. Sure. Um, and it was low pressure then. Yeah. It was I just- was just thinking another one of the first websites I or like things I ever like tried to code was a Neopets. Yeah. Uh, oh. Some sort of profile page that required, I think, like basic html skills to put something together and me a fool i mean me being a child was asking for people for help on the forums one of them's like oh i've been talking to them for a bit they're like i can actually handle it like 
just give me your login. Uh, I oh. can do it. My whole Neopets account got stolen. Oh. And it still, oh. I'm thinking about it right now. And I can oh. feel the panic that rose up in me at that moment. My oh. uh, poor Neopet dig, 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 dig seven was uh, probably oh. never fed again. Damn. My daughter about your age, she's maybe a little bit older, was a big into Neopets. And I did create Neopets web pages. I remember asking her once, or telling her once, you know, you got to be careful of strangers on there. She said, don't worry, Dad. I'm a 37-year-old guy from Detroit who drives a Camaro. Oh, and I figured, oh, I don't have to protect her. She, yeah, <laughs> she's going to she do just, just fine. Well, the reason I ask is uh, there's a story about teenagers and their internet use. This is a Gallup survey of more than 1,500 adolescents. So you know they, they took the time to find out just over half of U.S. teenagers, 51%, report spending at least four hours a day using social media apps, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Self Facebook. Reported. Self-reporting. Self-reporting. Uh, I think, yeah, that is low. You think that's low? Uh, yeah. I mean, have you ever looked at your screen time notification on your phone? Oh, yeah, you can verify it, can't you? Just look at your phone. Yeah, everybody pull up right now. <laughs> Uh, the use amount, amounts to 4.0 hours a day for the average U.S. teen. Uh, the younger, the less, of course. So it's 4.1 hours a day for 13-year-olds, 5.8 hours a day for 17-year-olds. Girls, according to this Gallup poll, again, I think self-reported, spend an hour more on social media than boys. This is from the Familial and Adolescent Health Survey. <laughs> of adolescent teens conducted by the Gallup poll folks. Let me see my, uh, I'm trying to figure out. I was out just trying to figure out how to it. find it. It's under <laughs> settings and there's screen time. time. You know yeah. how we know, how I know we're oldish, but all this does is tell you what you spent time spent on your phone. Okay. Right? It's also a bit misleading because I think at least mine is set to share across devices. So it oh, has so also it, me on my computer. It could, it could be your computer as well. Okay. Still um, counts is on what the internet. So tell on us social media sites. How much? What's your screen time? Um, I don't know how to find it. <laughs> Let's I'm see. I'm in Android and I don't know how to find that. Oh I God! My too. daily average for phone picks pickups is a hundred pickups a day. <laughs> Very <laughs> deeply embarrassing. Wait a minute! Answering okay. the phone a hundred times? No, a day. not answering, but like picking it up, picking, it up. Oh, picking, picking up, up oh, the oh, physical oh, phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. First use apps after pickup are Reddit messages chrome and instagram um you're being this is brave of you you're being very honest and i, I am you know i, appreciate I do it that. all for the content should i ask my daughter what's your you screen should. time abby she says oh my god i don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh my god where do i, I, how do I find abby out on instagram go I don't see to her on instagram so anymore. settings and settings. then scroll down it's screen time is like in the top yeah but yeah, my daily average is four hours and 12 minutes a day on social. So I guess that's... You're right in there. I'm right the, in there with the teens. With the teens, with the youngs. I do, young think teens, I do think teens probably spend more time on social media, though, because they don't have jobs. Yeah. That's, this is your job. I mean, my job is looking at Twitter, so it shouldn't So my 31-year-old my daughter, who is a writer and a comic, says... She says, oh, that's not bad. What is it? Today... Today just two hours and 45 minutes. That's, that is pretty medium good. Medium and crunch. She spends a lot of time on medium. She publishes it. on medium. So that's actually, that counts as work. 
Yeah. Instagram. Yeah, today probably. I'm 57 minutes, which good uh, for me. On medium or? or? On social in general. Social. I can't find mine. I'm too old. I don't mind mine either. <laughs> so do you, if you open up settings you find, and just scroll down to the second bucket, you've got the top bucket up there that I've says got, airplane mode. Second bucket, it's got notifications. And at the bottom of that bucket, it says screen time. They'll say notifications, sound and Are you haptics, on Android? Folk. Are you on oh, an I'm, iPhone? I'm on an iPhone. I'm sorry. I forget that. No, I'm, I'm on an iPhone too. I don't see yeah. what you're talking about. But I just turned the TV on by this. accident. mine doesn't look like that at all i have limit usage communication restrictions lock screen time settings okay you are in a part of your settings you should like scroll back and go to the main the main the main settings all right i don't know i give up it doesn't really it's probably too awful to even contemplate (laughs) well i mean i just spent five hours in zoom does it count? Does that count? I mean, if you have, I guess it. Are, you're using a Mac. Yeah. Is it signed into your iCloud account? Then maybe it would count. Probably, yeah. I just turned on that switch. I probably shouldn't have share across devices, so it wasn't sharing across device. Anyway, I'm not a teenage girl, but I think Paris is. At heart. At certainly. heart. At heart. YouTube number one uh, among all age groups. Uh, actually. TikTok uh, is number two with girls um, at 1.9 hours. YouTube uh, is between 1.7 and 2.1 hours a day. I'm not surprised about YouTube. YouTube is the TV for that generation, right? Yeah, Uh, I assume so. Yeah, I agree. Personality traits, parental restrictions were key factors in teens' use. Adolescents were asked measures of what psychologists call the big five personality traits. One of the scales that is particularly relevant, conscientiousness, pertains to self-control and regulation. The least conscientious adolescents spend an average of 1.2 hours more on social media a day than those are who are, well, this makes sense, highly conscientious. I've got to go do the choice, got to feed the cows and churn the butter. Can't be on social media because they're conscientious. It's true. Of the remaining big five personality traits, emotional stability, openness to experience, agreeableness, and extroversion are all negatively correlated with social media use, but not quite so strongly as conscientiousness. I quote something in my next book that the negative consequences of uh, social media turn out to be equivalent to eating potatoes (laughs) and wearing glasses. That's probably about right. But we should ban French fries for young yeah. people. <laughs> I just saw a TikTok, surprisingly, this morning that said, uh, if you take all uh, potato products, we've just learned if you take all potato products out of your life, your life sucks. <laughs> so, wow, that's huge. so I just saw that. So, uh, you really know, powerful. Yeah, very powerful. Parental restrictions. Interestingly, if parents strongly agree that they restrict screen time, those adolescents report 1.8 hours, 1.8 hours less on social media compared to parents who say, no, we don't restrict screen. So kids are listening to their parents. I'm surprised that it's only one hour less, though. Yeah. Well, that's the funny but thing. They're sneaky. It's still three hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's still more than three hours. Yeah. This seems low. One in four parents strongly agree to restrict 
screen time for their children. One in four. It's been, and there's no variance between mothers and fathers. Parental education is weakly related to screen time restrictions. Graduate degree holders are slightly more likely than parents with less education to restrict screen time. Ah, the political ideology of a parent is more closely related to restrictions. 41% of very conservative parents restrict screen time compared with 26% of conservative and 23% among moderate, liberal, or very liberal. So if you say, if you identify as very conservative, it's almost half. Well, that makes sense, too. I can see that. Yeah, This is obvious. And by the way, very liberal parents... Are very are twice as likely as conservative or very conservative parents to restrict uh, to not restrict screen time. So you're saying they're liberal about their choices. Their screen time parenting. <laughs> <laughs> Did I restrict your screen time, Abby? I don't even remember. Oh, you didn't have social media, but you had Neopets. Did you spend time on Neopets? It's different, though. You can be be sure of that. Did you, uh, what was your character's name on Neopets? You know, it's back, by the way. One of them was Sipter Girl. She meant to say Spider Girl, but she wrote (laughs) Sipter Girl. (laughs) And she was so shocked that the username was available, she just took it. Spider Girl is Sipter Girl. My kids didn't do social media back then, but there were still screen restrictions because my now college boy, he had a phone before the other kids did. And it was basically just a a gaming device for him. And, you know, I still had to cut it down and say, all right, you need to put the phone down. Just every now and then get up off your butt and go outside. That was my. Harris, when did you start playing video games? Because I know you're a gamer. Um, I think I had a a Game Boy, the the original ones before they kind of had the color. And I don't think I ever had restrictions on them. Um, yeah, I had a Game Boy. I had an Xbox. So I, your parents said, "We don't know what you're doing up there, but go ahead and do it." They don't. They didn't. Yeah, care. they I don't think really cared. I got outside enough um, as yeah. a child. Yeah, you, <laughs> I think you rode your was, bicycle to woodworking class every Thursday. Listen, you know, um, I do have a lot of hobbies now. <laughs> I think that is like adulthood it. is just collecting hobbies. And I <laughs> oh, love that's a it. good that's a very good perspective on it, actually. Uh, is there a class for sequining mannequin body parts? There what? is not. But I could honestly, could there probably it. is. I'm sure you can teach <laughs> there probably is. But I could teach one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of taking a sewing class next. Oh, uh, that's good. Add to my repertoire. I have to say, in during COVID, I sewed uh, hundreds of masks. I really enjoyed it. It was very satisfying. Hand sewing or? Um, no, I got a machine. I bought a sewing I machine. That. Yeah. I bought the fabrics and stuff and made masks for the whole family. Yeah, well, to show, show off one of your mother's handy works behind you. Oh, yeah. Well, that's probably where well, I got it. She's a big textile. Showed these before, but she was big into textiles. This is a crocheted, I don't know, what is that? A chipmunk? What is that? I don't know what that is. A squirrel? Maybe a squirrel. She made the clothes too, though. No, now we have a fox. What do you think? A tiny mammal. Yeah, a tiny (laughs) mammal. A small mammal of some kind. These are bunnies. Bunnies. Yeah, you could tell. So cute. They are very cute. They're so cute. They're very cuddly. She could have had a business. You know, I told her that. She said, no, this takes me so long to make. 
I'd be making a dollar an hour. It's not, it's not worth yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's take a little break. We have more to talk about. Tons. On this week in Google. Uh, Jeff, why don't you uh, get to work and pick something? Cause I, I don't, I don't know what we're going to talk about next. So I'm going to let Jeff Jarvis be in charge. <laughs> that's, that's Leo's way to say he didn't read, he forgot to read the rundown. I forgot to read the rundown. No, Otherwise he would never, he would never let me, he would never suggest that. I am going this, I've done this before and it's worked very well. Each of you pick your, pick yes, the next that's, biggest story that you want picks. to talk yes. about. Yes. Paris can right. do it. Ant can do it. Jeff, you can do it. What's the big story of the week? Although I have to say that Mark Andreessen manifesto was pretty. That's nice. why I wanted to go there. Yeah, that was pretty. That amazing. was pretty. I think nice. I'll count that as my first pick. Paris gets the first pick, then I'll do a second. Pick. Okay. Okay. So we're throwing to me now. Yeah. Oh, yes, well, are. you got time. Yes, I'm going to do a commercial. Sure, I've got so enough time. ad read. You got time. Yeah, I'm going to do a nice long ad read. <laughs> <laughs> as is his. Watch. I was going to say, isn't a when Jeff gets to host the show? Is that where he just starts asking personal questions? Is that? Yeah, that's happens? Jeff right yeah. there. He wants to know about people. Me, I couldn't care less. So, <laughs> uh, there's just a little difference between me and Jeff. Our show today, I'm very pleased to say this is a really interesting company you want to check out. Brought to you by HID Global. You can reduce risks. You can cut operating costs and complexity when you outsource your public key infrastructure operations to HID Global's cloud-based PKI as a service model. It provides automated management of the complete certificate life cycle and encryption. Uh, HID Global is your one-stop shop. It simplifies private and public PKI management with one predictable price on one easy-to-use platform. Their simple subscription plan has no additional charges for additional certificates under your plan. Geographically dispersed and scalable architecture across multiple regions, HID Global goes wherever AWS goes. And it really eases your procurement pains. With HID Global, you'll get up and running in two weeks. That's a lot faster than the other guys. Their assistance with deployment always includes their incomparable white glove service, expertise, and knowledge. And, of course, you're going to receive ownership of your private keys. For Google and Mac systems, HID's connector model of PKI uses open source certificate utilities. So your organization can use multiple operating systems, which is important these days in the BYOD environment. Uh, it, it's completely platform agnostic. Vis, visit hid.link slash twig today. hid.link slash twig today. Thank you, HID, for your support of this week in Google. I think that's a great idea. Uh, all right, Paris, I gave you a minute to think about the next big story on this week in Google. Yeah, I don't have exactly a link for you, but I'm sure it's something that all of you guys saw yesterday with news of the explosion at um, the hospital in Gaza. I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, beyond oh, the this is a horrible it, story. Obviously, oh, so beyond, the, beyond the horror of what has happened there, I think there was yeah. an interesting conversation happening around how disinformation or misinformation was spreading through Twitter and kind of the new and strange ways that this platform, I guess we'll call it X, is working or not working to reinforce existing biases and kind of muddle the waters in moments like this where it's kind of just a fog of war. Well, that's why this is a perfect example, because it's unclear who perpetrated this blast. Was it Hamas? Was it the Israelis? And it's fascinating uh, to watch Bellingcat and company trying to 
figure it out in live time. Yeah. 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 I mean, we should say right up front, this was tragic. Hundreds died. It was a terrible, terrible thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But but both sides are blaming the other. And so that's where you have a gap, an information gap that disinformation can run right in and fill up. Right. Yeah, especially because in the early moments after news of this uh, explosion broke, I believe uh, Twitter accounts um, associated with either the Israeli government or IDF had posted kind of their version of events with what seemed like accurate kind of recordings of it. But then because they subscribed to Twitter Blue within like an hour or two, they edited the tweets, took down the recordings after someone pointed out that the uh, timestamp in the recordings was actually after the explosion had apparently occurred. So then they edited it, which kind of led to a different chain of events of people then using the video that was originally published as proof or as as proof for Israel's uh, understanding of events or as proof against it. But now, you know, it's gotten even more complicated. There's intelligence, I think, on both sides, and people are still trying to figure out exactly what happened. But this site that used to be a fairly decent source for real-time information in moments like this is really difficult to use. At, at one point, I'm, I'm reading the Reuters story, and they're just as confused. Uh, at one point, apparently, uh, Israel tweeted a warning to residents of this region to move south. Now, putting a message on Twitter to say, get out of there because we're going to bomb your hospital, it seems like not the best way of communicating that. Um, mm-hmm. So did the and, and how do you verify that they that was the Israeli government tweeting? We don't know. And did they tweet before? I think you make an interesting point. Before or after? Yeah, I got faked by somebody who said they were Al Jazeera and thought, oh, well, then no, they weren't. Yeah, so, there was a Twitter account of, I'm forgetting, someone pretending to be an Al Jazeera journalist, uh, Farada Khan, yep, um, yep. that duped a lot of people. Well, and of course, we know that uh, there are multiple motivations for misinformation here. And uh, a lot of people with uh, an interest in misleading the world about what happened. Will we ever get to the bottom of this in a war zone like that? Probably I not. I don't think we will. I think that um, that's the, the fog of war is the fog of every day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've talked on the show before about this, the responsibility that now falls to us to decide the, the, the veracity of what we hear and to not share it. And I almost shared stuff today. There was another story out there about uh, MSNBC's uh, Muslim anchors being um, pulled off. And I doubted it because I saw them on the air. But I'm hearing stuff lately that says maybe I was wrong about what was happening. And, you know, we have to be careful out there uh, with information. And and I would also submit that this is in some ways a dress rehearsal for what's going to happen in the 2024 election. Just get ready. This is. This is the beginning, isn't it? Yeah. But on the last uh, AI Inside, we had a discussion about this. And and one argument I've made is I don't think it's the volume of disinformation. Just We already have plenty. Just to have more doesn't really matter much. It's the vectors of it. It's how something gets picked up, why it gets picked up, where it goes with that. Um, you know, research said in 2018, 2016, the, vol- the amount of time people spent with so-called fake news was actually very small. The impact of of a lot of this information was small, but it takes a little bit 
to go off elsewhere. The Freedom House just did a, um, it's a long document, and I'm not going to propose that as, as my next story. The Freedom House did a long document about uh, their annual report, and Internet freedoms are going down all over. But their big worry is mainly that bad governments will use AI to produce more credible stuff. Yeah, but here's an example of this doesn't have to be AI. No, not at all. <laughs> not at it's all. not the quantity. No, exactly. Uh, it's the it's the confusion. Um, and in fact, Hamas, according now, this is according to the New York Times. And again, I, it used to be you could say, well, it's in the New York Times. It's definitive. This must be sure. true. And sure. now I don't know. I mean, Reuters was clearly confused. According to the New York Times today, Hamas hijacked victims' social media accounts. Ah, this is true. I remember this. This is actually. Uh, this was the horrific thing that happened during the attack. Oh, the live stream. Uh, the kidnappers stuff. would take the their victims' uh, phones and start posting videos of the kidnapping on their Facebook page. That, I think, really did happen. I think we know yes. that that happened, yeah. Um, you know, every time there's another war, we say, once again, we're seeing more of this than we've ever seen before. I remember, let's talk old times again. The Vietnam War was the first, they say, televised war. And it was one of the reasons I think people turned against the war in Vietnam is because we got to see the horror of the war on television, on the network television. And when Walter Cronkite finally said, that's it, it's enough, we're not going to win this war, that was the end. <clears throat> Nixon, uh, or what, maybe it was Johnson. I think Johnson said we lost a... Uh, Cronkite, you know, it's over. Uh, but now we have, we can watch this on social media in, in an unprecedented way, not even edited or uh, disintermediated by the networks. This is direct views of the horror of war. I, uh, in, in your new Facebook experience, have you seen anything come across your screen recently? You know, that's interesting because I did join Facebook. I talked about this last week. Mm -hmm. because I was curious what... And a lot has uh, happened since then. Yeah, this was know? right after the war broke out, and I was very curious what it was going to what it was going to be like. I don't get any news at all. Uh, maybe I haven't been around long enough. Uh -huh. But uh, what about you? Are You've been on Facebook a lot longer than I have. Not me. Oh, you're not no. on at all? Heck no, sir. Maybe Jeff, you're on Facebook. <laughs> Who's on Facebook? I'm on Facebook, but, they're, but they're, they're trying to go away from news everywhere. Yeah, yeah, they they were smart. Get out of the news business. Uh-huh. Um, let me just look right now. I'm logging into my Facebook to see if there's anything I have about my the friends Halloween decorations. Uh Here's a Mad Magazine pictures. Here's a guy with his granddaughter. Um Nothing. I keep getting sexualized pictures. I wish I wouldn't. I don't You still get those. <laughs> worse. There's more. Um Fortunately, Mike Elgin posted some delicious cookies. So, uh, yeah, no, you know what? I'm not. You wouldn't know a war's going on from what I'm seeing here. Wow, interesting. Yeah. But for some reason, uh, they're they're they want me to. I think it's honestly. I think it's OnlyFans uh, publishers who are trying to generate traffic to their OnlyFans. I don't know. Now, is the um, whole Facebook Pixel still in play? these days or wasn't it called like yeah yeah you, when you when you see that like button because you are you know you you read a lot of news and and pretty you think it would be getting those signals, stories huh? you know I oh figured. oh you know what i'm blowing it because i'm using firefox and it, and it blocks facebook ah, okay yeah, so those right. those like buttons are blocked 
Uh-huh. Now I'm getting pictures, AI generated pictures of uh, women in bikinis. So this is really out of control. This is why that's I left the future. Facebook. That's the future. Yeah. This is why I left Facebook in the first place is that it isn't just the people I'm following friends and family. Right. There's all sorts of crap in here that has nothing to do with my friends and family. And it's really, most of it is, you know, somehow, somehow manipulative, but, Ironically, you just on my page, you wouldn't know there's a war going on. All right. Well, yeah. again, I think within about two months, you know, right around November or after the November holidays, when we'll start to see a bit more ramping up campaign yes. wise. Yeah. And your experiment is probably going to get a lot more interesting then. Um, I am definitely not following the UFC hot chick account. I don't want to see this. Why not? Now I can. But, but I can, they knew you might want to, Leo, because they know you. How do they know that about me? Because I'm a, a white man of a certain age. Anyway, I'm going to hide all from UFC hot chick. But remember how well that worked last time, right? So maybe Keep that's a, you know what? Maybe that's the signal they were looking for. Oh, you know, you say you don't want to see it. What is your wife looking over your shoulder? Mm-hmm. They're probably like, oh, that counts as engagement. Huh? We know you. Yeah. Love we know what you want. Maybe it's making it worse. <laughs> oh, God. I will say the bane of my existence is every month or whatever, I have to click hide all suggested or snooze all suggested posts on Instagram because you can't turn them off. It's so annoying. I There's just a be able to, to do that. Yes. If you go in the upper right hand corner and you click on the three little buttons, the three little dots, it'll say snooze all suggested posts in feed for 30 days. Oh, how? Uh, so you're going to say you can just call this episode. Paris does tech support. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, you can't you can't turn it off, though. You have to snooze it every month or whatever. Wow. Is it in the settings? No, it's like when you come across a suggested post in your oh, feed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then yeah. you click on the like three quarters button. of my Insta feed is suggested posts. That's the thing is it's not hard to come across. Them. Yeah. They take over your feed and I'm like, I just want to see photos yeah. from my friends. It doesn't get rid of ads. Just no, it just Instagram gets rid of suggested saying, posts. Hey, you like that. You might like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See suggested for you. Okay. We've moved things around about this account while you're seeing this post. Not interested. Manage suggested content. Oh, there it is. That's what I want to do. Snooze suggested posts for 30 days. Right on, daddy <laughs> And the minute it hits 30 days yeah. from now, you'll be seeing those yeah. all over again. They do they not figure wait. You'll, you'll tire of, uh, of correcting them and eventually just give up. Give With up Twitter and give in. Formal- with Twitter formerly being, as y'all mentioned earlier, the, like the trusted source for just getting news as it happened, when it happened, what's it going to take to move that to somewhere else? To where we're leaning on threads. I don't think there's a replacement. Source. You know, I don't, I don't think there'll ever be a replacement at that size. I think instead we're going to we're going to move into a whole bunch of small places. It's which fragmented. Is I think you're right. Yeah, and fragmentation is a, is the natural state of things. Mass uh-huh. is the unnatural state. Yeah. So uh, where do you come down? Uh, threads, Blue Sky, um, Mastodon, T2, which is now called Pebble. I still dig Threads. Okay. You're asking threads. for permission, Ed. That's the meta one, right? <laughs> Uh yes, <laughs> that's the meta one. I still dig threads though. Paris, um, 
just from a conversation standpoint, but I can't say that I've been going there to check it out for news. Not yet, anyway. No, they don't want news there. Yeah, they specifically do not want people posting news. I like Blue Sky. Um, It gives me the same kick as uh, Twitter does, I think, just based on the similarities in it. I like that there's Mm -hmm. kind of a a tweet deck-like integration to it. I think it's just kind of, I think, has a lot of the features Mm -hmm. that, remind me of the best parts of Twitter. I'm not a big threads fan. I just, I think also it's, that's more of how I use Instagram than anything else. Like I have a private Instagram that has nothing to do with work or news content. It's just for kind of like viewing photos of my friends and family. Um, So threads doesn't work them well for me. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the tweet deck style, uh, blue sky. You're talking about deck dot blue. Yeah. Check it out. Everyone. It's nice. I mean, it like, here, I'll pull it up here. I mean, much like TweetDeck, uh, for Twitter, you can kind of organize uh, your Blue Sky experience in different columns. You know, you can have kind of different feeds going on instead of just looking at one linear feed, which I is gives me, uh, which I like because I like looking at a large uh, screen full of different scrolling bars all at once. Um, that is the yeah, me too. I, me. I, I was really sad when Tweet. Well, I was really sad when Twitter basically died and yeah. then losing TweetDeck was just insult to injury. So, yeah, I'm glad to see that uh, they added that. Was that a third party doing this? I think it is because you have to give them a app app's password, right? That's a great question. I think so. I don't think um, it's Yeah, them. it's a third party app. Yeah. DeckDocBlue is a Blue Sky client that supports multi-column browsing, allowing you to check everything you care about at once, just like TweetDeck. I will be happiest, however... When they start federating, I don't know why they. It's complicated. I mean, they be, they better do it because that's part of the whole argument. But they said they've said again and again that they want to get one instance right before they multiply it. Yeah, good. I on think you. it's really smart because I think that that is the thing that has killed, or not killed, because Mastodon's still around. That has been a barrier for other websites like Mastodon taking off. Yeah, the way you know, so we have our own Mastodon, which you're. Welcome to participate in, if you wish, Twitch.social. Uh, and the way it really has ended up is it's its own kind of space that has, it's, you know, it's somewhat porous because you can follow other people. There's a federated feed and stuff, but generally it's really just its own social network by itself with connections to other ones, as opposed to a view into a larger social network. Uh, that's run by a bunch of different people. At least that's my experience of it. I, I actually really like Mastodon, but that's because everybody in our Mastodon, you know, are Twit people. Yeah. So I, I like Mastodon too. And I asked a question, I'm going to get later to a question of which computer does Jeff buy? And I put it on all five services and Mastodon was where I got answers. That's a good test. Um, that's a good test. There's also in the rundown, the Blue Sky put up a page, a Blue Sky for journalists, because they recognize that that vector of amplification is important for the service. So they're trying to be nice yeah. to journalists. Um, and they're emphasizing that you can pick your own algorithms. Um, it, you know, it's not a big deal here, but I think, and, and, and if you're an audience and editor, send us a, an email and we'll get your people on. So they're, they're valuing news there as opposed to threads and Facebook. Do you uh, use your own? Uh, blue sky handle. I am, I am, 
uh, I think leolaporte.me. Um, I'm paris.nyc. So you do do that. I think that's I a, I, I'd like to see that. I mean, that's a mess. And they emphasize that for, that's the main thing they emphasize to the news brands is you can be. Yeah, which authenticates you. And because right. it's portable, if you quit the job, you can move your, that's right. your, right. your social graph. That's, that's fine right. and dandy, but we normal folks ain't going to quite understand that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you don't no, have and, to, to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, normal folks, we can't cater to the lowest common denominator, right? Are you calling Ant a low common denominator? <laughs> <laughs> Ant mean, is not my, a normal folk. My blue sky handle is my domain. Yeah, you know, he does again, it. Everybody yeah. doesn't. Well, but have you, that. but you can have a blue sky, normal blue sky domain, right? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that's the thing that makes blue sky eventually a viable alternative is you can sign up and it's easy. You put in your username. They don't really explain any of the domains or instances things to you, and all of a sudden you're on blue sky. And yep. it's yeah, right. you know, originally I think mine was Paris Martineau dot blue sky dot social. Or whatever the yeah, uh, BSKY, right. BSKY, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy. I should update right. my blue sky because right now it says I'm no one of importance and probably not going to use this. I'll just say <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm your profile. That's good. I think everybody should be so humble. One tip I would wish for people out there: if you join Blue Sky, is they join and before they do their profile, they start following people that I see, oh, somebody followed me, but I have no idea who it is. Yeah, yeah. And I miss people I want to follow because right. I don't know who it really is unless you fill in your profile first, folks. Yeah. I will say also a good way to get started in Blue Sky because other people have asked me is then go find a handful of people that you like, you know, you want to follow and then go through the list of who they follow. Yeah. And likely you'll see some familiar names and be able to kind of build out your social graph from there. And if you just hit the search button on the left on Blue Sky, it'll give you suggested follows and then um, followed by Andrew Exum. Now, the problem is I don't know who Andrew Exum is, but these are people he follows. This is really, to me, this is quite interesting. Maybe Blue Sky is the incumbent now. Is that possible? This is We should explain for people who don't remember the genesis of Blue Sky. Back when he was the CEO of Twitter, um, Jack Dorsey funded a project – it was a blue sky research project to create a sort of federated network, kind of like Mastodon is a, a social network that wasn't owned by one company that wasn't a monolithic social network, which is a very kind of brave thing to do. If you're the CEO of the dominant monolithic social network, Thank God, he did, he gave him what it was a 10 or $15 million. Dollars. Okay. But maybe no, maybe right. it was 15. I forget. Uh, but it was money before the sale and money that Elon could not claw back. So, even though Elon had bought Twitter shortly after, maybe three months after. By the way, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary yeah. Yeah. of Elon's uh, acquisition of Twitter. Uh, even though he'd bought, he couldn't claw it back. And so that was uh, going on. And eventually they launched Blue Sky, uh, which is a lot like Twitter, but with some additional features and some missing features. And I think it is certainly a strong candidate. I mean, Mastodon was around before Elon bought Twitter. So Mastodon is kind of the old man of the group or the oldster. Um, <laughs> there are uh, many others, including the newcomer threads from Meta. Did they already add the edit button or they just said they were going to? They added the it's edit button mine. for free. Yeah. Wow. It's on mine. A bargain. Something. Uh, does Twitter have an edit button or do you, you have to pay for Twitter? You have to, Blue pay, for, to pay for it now. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, Mastodon hasn't had an edit button since the beginning, which kind of gave lie to the claim that, oh, yeah. it's technically too difficult. You can't, uh, we can't do that. Uh, Especially Mastodon. You know, your, 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 your stuff is all over these other servers out there and it works. Well, maybe, maybe that's maybe because Mastodon doesn't really care if you can't pull it back, right? It's like, well, we'll do the best. <laughs> we yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're just, we're just an open we're source just project. Yeah, we're just Mastodon. So we'll do the best. Big success for Sunday Ticket, NFL Sunday Ticket, YouTube TV spent about, we think, $2 billion a year to take it away from DirecTV. This is the ability to watch any NFL game all day Sunday. And apparently, according to Antenna, which is a group that monitors uh, app uptake and so forth, uh, Sunday Ticket has attracted 1.3 million signups on YouTube TV. That's, according to Bloomberg Intelligence, still less than DirecTV had. It may have been up to 1.5 to 2 million customers. And I can guarantee you, if you do a little math, it's less than $2 billion a year, although it's not cheap. It's a $350. Well, it depends on the on what you do. It could be as much as $500 a season. Uh, I got I get in, got in early, and I think they were offering a discount at two hundred fifty dollars a season. Uh, but NFL fans will pay money, lots of money, and uh, I don't. This is an interesting thing because I don't think Google would even expect to make the two billion dollars back. I saw but this, it, and the first thing that popped in my head was how many times I hear people talking about how much money they don't have and how the economy is this and the economy is that. I'm like, well, dang, they just bought a lot of people are buying Sunday tickets. So I guess it's not that bad out there. And it's maybe priorities. it's just too cheap. It's you know? priorities. If I, I have to eat beans for a week, but I get to get the NFL on Sunday, it might be worth it. Yeah. I, I just I just think it's overpriced. And I I love the NFL game, but man, I think that Sunday ticket's well, overpriced. So maybe I'm just too cheap. If you like the local team, you're gonna see those local games no matter anyway on broadcast right. for free. Right. So it really is only for people who want to see out of market games. We we bought it because, as you know, Michael's a Green Bay Packer fan and he yep. wants to see every Green Bay game. It's the only way to do it. Yeah. Actually, it's not the only way. He could watch it on his phone, which he might even be willing to do um, with NFL Plus, which is their uh, phone only subscription. Oh, and that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, hmm. He's funny. You know, he's often, he works, uh, often works Sundays. So he's working at the grocery store on Sundays and he'll just put an earbud in and listen to the game. So I guess he's happy with just that. I don't, I don't know. It's interesting. In any event, uh, I think it's fair to say that, uh, it was a success for YouTube to buy this. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably a success for the NFL. They were get they're getting half, at least half a million, half a billion more than they were getting from direct TV. You know, and I'm assuming that YouTube TV is just saying, you know what, you can keep throwing us the slander about us. Uh, what was the ad they put out saying it's cheaper than cable? Six yeah, they had to retract that. They were saying it was cheaper than cable. Yeah. And it wasn't. Yeah, we retract that and all the way to the bank because we're still getting all of these signups right here. So go right ahead. Well, and we've talked about this, especially on Mac Break Weekly. It's an interesting environment where companies like Amazon, Google, the companies you cover, Paris, Amazon, Google, um, and uh, uh, Apple don't have to recoup the investment they make into their streaming services uh, because it it synergizes with the other stuff they're selling. 
Whereas NBC does, you know, as big as Comcast is, they still don't want to lose money on their streaming stuff. Max doesn't want to lose money, you know, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the benefit of being a giant company is at a certain point, the individual like profit ability of your specific business lines doesn't really matter. I mean, that's how Amazon got to the size that it is is it doesn't really have to make money and didn't for a while on uh, delivery and it's kind of retail business because it had cloud. Um, and same well, as with, an example, Thursday yeah. Night Football, Amazon spent a lot of money to get that. It has still not gotten to the viewership numbers that Fox had when the games were on broadcast television. I guess you'd expect that because you, you're streaming it now. It's Amazon Prime. Uh, they say uh, 13.5 million viewers per game. This is according to Amazon. I think uh, better than last be better though. Yeah, it's better than last year, but Fox had more uh when it was on TV. Uh, I think I, it's going to get better because of the, so many people have in Prime right out the gate and it's just right there. And that's um, a perfect example. That Amazon doesn't need to make money on on Thursday night football if it drives Prime subscriptions and drives Amazon sales. Right. It's good, right? Yep. So they, they could they make their money back that way. Uh, all right. Anything else? Uh, did I ask you, Aunt, what your story of the week was? I didn't. Uh, no, you didn't. But the one that I had in mind was that one, of course. But it was sort of. I stole your story of the halfway week. In, halfway in mind. I was more interested in the uh, Adobe and Figma discussion regarding. Oh, isn't AI. that? Yeah, you should talk about that. You were at. Uh, you. you pay, I guess you watched it at home, but yeah, you went it. to Adobe Max, right? I watched it. I normally had gone, but I watched it. That, watched it this year and I saw the headline the Bloomberg headline Adobe is focused on AI rather than Figma acquisition in limbo I think it's bull crap um, <laughs> you, Adobe is still worried about making profits and yes profits are going to be uh, geared around AI but that Figma deal is is definitely about profit too that's not going anywhere uh, especially when we looked at how Adobe announced more dealing with Adobe Express and more dealing with uh, Illustrator being available on the web as a beta right now. All of that is in the same wheelhouse with Figma and, and, and Figma was competition. So if you're thinking Adobe is not caring, caring anything about that acquisition, you're full of it. One of the It was said a year ago, one of the reasons Adobe had to acquire Figma at a kind of stunning $20 billion is Figma was eating their lunch. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and there was the fear that Adobe would basically have no business left if people started moving to using those kinds of tools online with Figma. So they bought them, but then I guess regulatory permission has uh, been slow. Uh, and Bloomberg's position, Brody Ford writing in Bloomberg is, uh, the software company's attention has moved on. <laughs> they, at that uh, Adobe Max, there were uh, no mentions of Figma during the keynotes. There was one reference during an investor briefing, and there was no Figma on the show floor. Apparently, I mean, uh, I think it makes sense because they're kind of, and they say this in the story a bit, like in regulatory limbo right now. The uh, Justice Department is probably going to sue to try and block the deal. I think the wow. European Union is also looking into the purchase. Um, and 
you know, I'm the DOJ has a lot of other things on their plate right now, at least even in just terms of uh, business uh, deals that they're kind of looking at. So this is probably going to be a long drawn out process. And I don't think that you can work to integrate the businesses together until all, all of that is settled. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what Dana Rouse said. She's Adobe uh, general counsel. We still love Figma, but we can't work together until the acquisition closes. We can't feature them uh, at a product conference. We don't own them yet. Right. And in fact, there are strict rules about what we can say about it. So, yeah, maybe this is a bogus uh, story, but it is interesting that Adobe's talked so much about AI. They they offered uh, $20 billion to Figma if the deal fails to close by the end of March. So they have about five more months. Uh, the breakup fee is a billion dollars. Um, I'm curious, do they still get to go through with that in the breakup if it's in like regulatory limbo? Is that I think it? so. I think that's the whole point. It doesn't have to just be that you turned away from the deal. If the deal can't be consummated for any reason, I think. Oh. Correct me if I'm wrong, folks, but I believe that's the case. Uh, the reason I think so is because, remember, Microsoft had a very hard time. On Friday, they finally, Friday the 13th, closed their acquisition of Activision Blizzard, uh, even though the FTC is still investigating. And there was a fairly hefty breakup fee on that. Uh, there was a breakup fee for Elon Musk buying Twitter. Yeah, He would have had to pay even if the courts had said you don't have to buy. Well, that's not the same, though. It's not like regulatory uh, refusal. I don't know. I'm not an expert on this. I will ask around. Uh, and if anybody in our uh, IRC uh, does know or um, in our Discord, uh, if you're an attorney practicing mm -hmm. acquisitions and mergers, <laughs> um, I love this. I'll give you my story of the week. The Verge, the meta glass holes have arrived. <laughs> this is because the new Meta Quest 3 has better... Uh, outward facing cameras so you can actually wear it and walk around in the real world and apparently oh, no. people are doing it it didn't take long the verge writes for people to begin pushing the limits both technologically and socially people Just or robert scoble uh, come on no well <laughs> the new, this is uh, sean hollister writing at the verge the new robert scoble is a fellow named jay mayo who walked the comic-con excuse me New jay York. mayo <laughs> You know, uh, Mr. Mayo? Just, I think it's very funny to find Mr. someone Mayo? and to quote, and it's Mr. Mayo. <laughs> Mr. Mayo. No offense to Jay out there. Whoever Jay should be a comic. Uh, let should. me see. His Instagram <laughs> has him walking around. He calls himself an NYC virtua naught. Oh, dear. Oh, jeez. He's a would be comic. <laughs> He's working on his first VR Doesn't game. He would be funny, Scoble, but is. Called Sky Stack VR in Unreal Engine. Also had wrote novels and short stories, but apparently not grammatically. Also had wrote novels and short stories. Is that grammatical, Mr. No, Professor? Had wrote. No. Also had wrote, <laughs> had wrote. Had wrote. Poorly wrote. Had also had poorly wrote novels and stories. He had. He did. Anyway, uh, a perfect now, poster the, boy. The device got great reviews all over. Oh, yeah. People said, wow, this is better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, they were happy with the device, but uh, The Verge is not happy with the social impact. Uh, the world-famous Carrot Survivor on Twitter, I'm sorry, TikTok, Carrot Survivor, says this is a, it's a game changer. 
VR. What? Well, the influence. What game is being be. changed? I don't know. The game of it's a, a carrot survivor, which, by the way, has got to be the best handle. Uh, actually, has video <laughs> on his TikTok now viewed by five point six million people of him walking around in real life with his meta quest. I, I look forward to Taylor Lorenz's take on what what this does to the influencers. Yeah. By the way, her book is great. Isn't it good? Oh, it's good. You know, the, we had her on on Twit uh, a couple of weeks ago. I, I really, I've always wanted to get her on. I think she's got a great take. The only issue I have with the book at all, it's a great history, a recent history of our, our yes. you know, social yes. past. And, and I think the overarching story is how women have often been the, the breakthrough artists in social media. And and at the same time are the ones who are most immediately harassed, discriminated against, doxxed, and mm-hmm. chased out. And uh, it's really, it's in some ways a sad story, beginning with Julia Allison and going on. It's just the Julia know, Allison stuff was just was just great. Yeah. I, I interviewed yeah. Julia on Tech Week. I think this is Tech Week in New York right now. Many many years ago, uh, about what she was going through then, but it was part of what her life was. Um, yeah, and I mean, and I'm glad she got uh, the recognition for. It's a very sympathetic a portrayal of her, and I think. Yeah. You know, Taylor uh, Lorenz was, of course, herself, uh, still is uh, often attacked and harassed and doxxed by the right wing and others who, uh, you know, don't like Mm. a woman speaking out, I guess. I should have warned you, by the way, Paris. (laughs) Yes. If you're on this show, you're going to get the people are going to harass you, too. I hope they don't, but. It doesn't. Oh, happen. I've, I've, I know how to handle online harassment. I it sucks. <laughs> reported on uh, QAnon and misinformation yeah. oh. for a while. So, oh God, oh, oh, well, you're you're a you're high pretty tough by now. <laughs> yeah, you and Joan Donovan oh my God. been there. You know, the only thing I uh, that it, and it's I think it's a problem with recent history in general is we're too close to it to really have a kind of a, a overarching understanding of it. So the book itself is really just a collection of stories, which I found fascinating, having been on the outside of a lot of these. But there, but there isn't at the end kind of any coda of well, oh, this is what it means. But I think, we don't I know. Think there yet. is. I think. Well, I think there is to the extent that it's. I haven't written this yet, but I think it's. It's. A, it turned to my surprise. It turned into a business book, not business advice, but about business. And hmm. it was what did. Um, so I, I wrote this in my book, Marie, but I already got it in there, that what's the corruption of media? And it's not that TikTok or Twitter or Facebook corrupted anybody. It's scale. It's the idea that we have to be huge. We have to have lots of people, lots of attention. And why do we have to do that? For the advertising. And so it's, I'm not, I'm not anti-capitalist. I want advertising to continue to support media and give us free stuff and all that. But I think that when it got down to the individual level, when everybody's media, everybody's corrupted to an extent by that. And it was, it was, it was sad because it started off with those nice early days that I liked. It was so positive. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, people were exploiting, being exploited. It was about, and it was about money. And I get that. Hey, if you can make a living doing this stuff and having your house and God bless, do that. <laughs> The but there's no real value to it. I'm not. I'm not diminishing anybody who's an influencer. I think that if young people can create their own culture rather than having it imposed upon them, I am all in favor of that. But the motive sure. wasn't creativity anymore; it was attention, mm-hmm. and it fed into the human ego and the money together. It kind of corrupted it all, which was sad. Which is why I think that not having one Twitter again and 
maybe not having one TikTok again, but having 25 different social networks is going to be a healthier world. I hope. I hope. But I'm an optimist. No, I think you're right. I think that's true. I think about my son, uh, who is a TikToker influence and, and now on Instagram uh, as well uh, with, I can't remember, it's like one and a half million Instagram followers. And I think he needs the volume to make a living. Yeah, that's exactly what it is now. If, if, if you don't mind me asking, Abby, you perf- Abby is there, right? She, she performs. How does she use social media for her performance? She's, you know, she's really got, and I think this is true of, of a lot of women on social media. It really has mixed, it's a mixed blessing. If you're a comic, you kind of need, oddly, oddly, it's Facebook. You, uh, uh-huh. you can promote yourself on on TikTok and Insta and many comics that do that. But for bookings, you got to have a Facebook page, which is weird. Uh, and then she writes for Medium. And that's, uh, you know, I think that's a good form of social media for her. But she's always torn about how much of a profile online uh, she should have. And uh, periodically deletes everything. You know, gets fed up and says, you know, I got to delete everything. Uh, it's pretty hard to be a woman. Uh, yeah, I don't see her on Instagram as much as I used to. Yeah, because of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to be a woman uh, online these days, um, which is sad. And I think that to me, that was in some ways the the um, motto or the moral of uh, Taylor's book is it's, you know, the people who are doing really interesting, good stuff often get villainized. Um, and yeah, it's all um, an outrage. It, it's all attention, it is. like Jeff is saying. It is. Um, and that often means outrage. Yeah. Uh, and Taylor's book, with the title of which is Extremely Online, oh, yeah, The Untold Story of Fame, yeah. Influence, and Power on the Internet. Yeah. People should check it out. It's really good. It's that very is. good. It's it's great to read because, of course, we've lived this history. It's stories we've been talking about the whole time. I, I listened to uh, it. But there's some inside stuff, too, that's just really, uh, really mm-hmm. good. Um. So your story, Paris, was the confusion over the uh, hospital bombing in Gaza. Your yes. story, Ant, was what uh, YouTube TV and uh, NFL Sunday nope, ticket, Adobe, Adobe and Figma, and then Adobe Figma. We gave you two. It's okay because I stole one. <laughs> Jeff, your story of the week. Well, I kind of mine already was Andreessen. I guess I'll go. And this, I don't want to spend. The Andreessen story was great. I'm glad you brought that up. I had not read it. Um, so. But somewhat related uh, is that in Noema magazine. um, uh, Hold on, let me get back. Uh, That sounds like a hippie journal to me. I I know it does, doesn't it? What is Noema? Noema covers a lot of tech stuff, uh, you know, essay-like. Blaise Aguera Iacas and Peter Norvig. uh, Blaise is at Google, where he's one of the, he's vice president and fellow at Google Research on AI. Norvig is at Stanford. Um, I they have huge respect for Peter Norvig. He's actually one of my heroes. So their piece was general, artificial general intelligence is already here. My reaction first off is AGI is BS. I agree. And, although Norvig is a long, one of those AI researchers who's been around through a couple of AI winners. Right. So it's fascinating for me to hear him say that. Right. So they, so they start off and what they, and I, I didn't read it in detail. I, I, I skimmed it, but, but they do start to at least give us, and cause at the same time you have Sam Altman declaring that the key, um, 
uh, mission of OpenAI now, and Jason and I are going to be watching their event in, in, in a few weeks, uh, is AGI, AGI, AGI. And it's part yeah, of that. They changed whole, their, uh, their whole corporate mission statement, really, right. to focus on AGI. And, and, and by the way, what is AGI? We should probably define it. Artificial AGI. general intelligence when the machine can basically be smarter than we can because it can do lots of things. Uh, you and, know, or maybe, uh, and I think this is one of the reasons. There's not an agreed upon definition of this, or more likely, there's not an agreed upon test of this. Hmm. Uh, so it's hard to say. It's easy to right. say it exists without. So know, that's why no, this piece is interesting because what what it's like, basically the singularity. Norving. It's basically yeah. uh, another way of defining it would be when a with the output of a machine is indistinguishable from that of a human. You know, this is that Turing test, which has since been discredited, but it's kind of, you know, that's kind of relevant, right? So they say that early AI systems exhibited artificial narrow intelligence. And I, I right off the problem. I have a problem with the word artificial. And I have a problem with the word intelligence, actually, because I think it's just too anthropomorphic. But anyway, um, but, but then their argument is that now it's broad. And they list five um, ways in which they think that they've arrived at artificial general intelligence because it can deal with many topics because it's learned on a whole bunch of text. It can do various tasks from answering questions to generating stories to summarizing and transcribing. It has many modalities. It can deal with images and text. It can deal with many languages, which we've seen certainly. That's the best part of it, I think. And it has instructability. That there's in-context learning. And it can learn from a prompt rather than just from the training data. So that's their structure here for saying that We've arrived. It's it's light. It's easy. The one they have to say it's arrived. The other hand, they say it's going to be ten years before we really see it hit full flower. But we're kind of already there. They say I, the most important parts of AGI have already been achieved. Right. right. And so it's just a matter of time before you get a really complete artificial general intelligence. And so at least they're starting a discussion about what it is. Cause I think the problem that I have is, is, is when people throw out AGI, it's BS. There is no definition of it. We right. don't know what it is. It's just the chest thumping boys. Uh, it's the new BS. AGI is the new BSD. And they're trying to say that, you know, we can conquer the world because we have the biggest. And um, so I tend to dismiss it in all cases, but here it's just interesting to see the discussion about where it goes. And so, you know, I'll, I'll come back to this. And interestingly, just as a little aside, Blaise Aguera Iacas, as I say, is now a major AI um, fellow at Google. He, when he went to Princeton, he and the head of the rare book library there did research on, wait for it, get ready for it, folks. <laughs> Gutenberg, and they are they they analyzed every i that was printed in a gutenberg document document and they and they concluded and there's much argument against this but they concluded that gutenberg didn't make type the way we think that he made it with sand molds that had to be destroyed because every i was so different now other experts say no in fact there's lots of explanations why the eyes were different the inking and all kinds of stuff anyway here's a guy who went from gutenberg to ai he's gone the full range and I, I wish I could meet the guy at some point because I think he's he, he's brilliant and Norvig is very good. So I just this throw is, this out. This is a not as a clear clean cut or clear cut of a case as, as you might think. They're not arguing that no. AGI is here, but they are really setting the groundwork for what that would mean, what it is, and and why we think it's getting close. And and these guys, if you pick two people who are really experts, 
in this field. These are the guys. Uh, yeah. Be these and, guys. And I actually, I'm really glad you brought this up. I haven't read it yet. Uh, I'm scanning it. You, and there's a scanner. lot of interesting you got, you got stuff. Got a lot of good points here. out of it already. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I, that's why I bring it up is I think it's something we'll come back to and we'll come back to it on AI inside too. Um, because on the one hand, I keep on screaming about the AI boys and the test reel boys and the danger that they are. But we have to separate out their ego crap from the stuff that's actually happening and definitionally look at all of this and not let them get away with throwing out a term like AGI and accepting that, oh, yes, that's the that's the essence of everything that OpenAI is going to be, and that's their goal now, and you should invest as a result. That's what's BS to me. Yeah, and a lot of, I agree a lot with a lot of the stuff they wrote. They quote uh, Gary Marcus, who says that AI is, is frontier models, they call it. These are the ones that are starting to expand uh, AI from a particular skill in a particular area to a larger uh, ability that can even do stuff that nobody predicted they could do. Uh, he says these frontier models are learning to sound, how to sound and seem human, but they have no actual idea what they're saying or doing. You've said this for a long time, Jeff. I mean, but but is that necessary? Is that a necessary capability for it to be considered AGI? Well, the thing is, I, I think that the, the, the what's false, I'm eager to hear what what, what Paris hears from where, where, she, where they're covering AGI at, at the information. Um, I think, again, intelligence is the wrong framework. And, and by the way, machine is a wrong framework, too. Um, uh, I, I came across a um, McLuhan quote saying that, that if, we, if we call the computer and the machine, we're, it's rear view thinking. And we don't recognize where we are. And so we need different frameworks. That's why I welcome the discussion. Uh, but I don't think I, I think that trying to compare it to the human is what freaks people out. And the, when the machine could write like us and speak like us, that would freak people out. But the, the technology is just a, a slight advance to what it's been for years now. But now we're acting like, by God, the whole world has changed overnight because we because the machine can talk. No, it's just the anthropomorphic morphism of it freaks people. It's creepy. I totally agree. I mean, I think that framing and this is a this is something that i come across a lot i think when we're just reading coverage of things like chat gpt is people often frame these technologies as like thinking or feeling or doing or acting in some way that gives it uh, a level of like autonomy that it doesn't have i mean right. these are right. programs that are identifying patterns, matching them, putting words together in a way that it's been trained to do. And the See, thing that correct. it has been trained to do is mimic human, human speech and impress us in very specific yes. ways. So we shouldn't be blown away by that. I mean, there are a lot of cool things these technologies can do, but it's not intelligence and it's not, you know, going to take over the world, at least in the way that I think people fear when they say AGI. Yeah, I think if you read the whole article, and I, again, I haven't read the whole thing, I've just scanned it, but I think that their ultimate point is exactly that. And that, uh, if, in fact, it's kind of what we've been talking about with stochastic parrots all along. I think the people who are really smart about this say you shouldn't be worried so much about what AGI is or whether we've achieved it. What you should be considering is uh, they say the natural questions is the end of the article. We should be asking in 2023 include who benefits, who is harmed, 
How can we maximize benefits and minimize harms? How can we do this fairly and equitably? He said, they say, instead of denying the reality of AGI, which is kind of burying your head in the sand, we really start, need to start thinking about what are the consequences, uh, and, and how that's designed. And I think that's not so far from what Tim Nick Ebru was saying. Yeah. Is to cast. Because exactly what they're saying. And it's present yeah. tense. It's not this future tense and recent BS of 10 to the 58th artificial human beings of the future and living all throughout space, it's where we are now. And Nor is it the HAL 9000 or no. the Skynet that we've, you know, the science fiction talks about. Um, that, I think anybody who's interested in AI should read this. It's no, noemamag.com, N-O-E-M-A-M-A-G.com. How do you say it? I should know this. Berguin. Why am I having a problem with this word? Who, who, or what are you, what Institute. is the word? It's part of the B-E-R-G-G-R-U-E-N. Oh. Berguin. The Berguin Institute. Berguin Institute. You should know that from your <laughs> show. I should it should be, uh, but I think yeah. it's Swedish. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, this is from, a very thoughtful, interesting. It's a pretty good piece. publication. It, it has good stuff in it uh, that I end up coming back to with some frequency. I can't well, quite place you, it all, but that's okay. I'm glad you uh, found it and bookmarked it. I will read this. I was not uh, going to bring it up because I haven't read it all yet, but, yeah. but I figured Peter it's good Norvig, for folks uh, the show to read. One of the definitive Lisp books, Paradigms of Artificial Intelligence, 30 years ago. Uh, wow. He has been an artificial intelligence researcher. Uh, he's worked at Google for a long time now. He's at Stanford. Um, he is an absolute, one of the most brilliant people uh, and certainly a, a brilliant computer scientist out there. So I very much trust his perspective on this. He's been through it. Uh, and I think what he said, I agree so far with what I've read. What he does talk about, and I am in one of this one of these groups, he talks about uh, people who uh, are reluctant to talk about general intelligence for four reasons. A healthy skepticism about metrics for AGI. Yep. Absolutely, right? How do you define it? How do you measure it? How do you quantify it? An ideological commitment to alternative AI theories or techniques. Uh, I would say that's Mark Andreessen, uh, Elon, Elon Musk, and others, which are many times these are Johnny-come-latelys to mm -hmm. AI, and these guys are not. They've been around. Uh, three, and this is me, a devotion to human or biological exceptionalism. Uh, this notion <laughs> that somehow humans have something magical going on that no machine can duplicate. They, I think they pretty much demolished that later in the uh, article. Or finally, a concern about the economic implications of AGI, um, which which there's I'm not, I don't want to um, go into today at length, but there are two stories that run down today. I won't go into them at all, but but both um, LinkedIn and Stack Overflow laid off a bunch of people explicitly yeah. saying it was because of AI. I don't know about LinkedIn, but Stack Overflow is the place programmers used to go to copy and paste code. Right. It's pretty they don't obvious. need to do that anymore. They got no. Copilot. I wanted to ask you about that LinkedIn one, sir, on line 61. Did you write that in or was that a a, a headline? Well, that was my thing? headline. No, I just couldn't. It was when there was an all caps headline. I just oh, rewrite okay. the headline. So, oh, OK. I don't think like Axios uses C-U-Z <laughs> in its headlines. I mean, it's got to be brief, you know, that means yeah. cut out all the letters. 660 people will be laid off. We were just talking earlier about how well Microsoft has done with their acquisitions, among them LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, 3% is not a huge amount of the workforce. There have been a lot of this. Um, actually, I'm curious what you think, Paris, about 
uh, the tech company uh, layoffs. This was the year of the layoffs. Hundreds of thousands of uh, tech employees lost their jobs. Some are actually being rehired, but I think for the most part, it's a net loss of hundreds of thousands of people over the last nine months. I mean, I think we just came off the one of the frothiest periods in the tech industry that in recent memory, at the very least, a time when every company that wanted to could raise a considerable amount of money. Free money, um, in effect. Free money, in effect. And one of the signs of success outwardly is hiring a lot of people, growing your business and kind of the rules of the game were. Growth at all cost matters a lot more than profitability. You'll figure that out later. And all of a sudden, over the last year or two, the rules have changed. Suddenly, money isn't free. Investors care a lot about profitability. Don't really care if you've got uh, growth and aren't able to make the business work. And so you have, one, you have a lot of companies that are suddenly finding themselves in a totally different reality where all of a sudden money costs money and they have to make their business work. So they're having to cut a lot of staff. And two, which I think is maybe the more interesting part of this is you have a lot of tech companies that whether or not financially they necessarily need to be doing layoffs right now to make or break the business. They look around and see everyone else is doing layoffs. It's like, well, we could cut some people. We could improve the bottom line. And I think that there's a little bit of both. Could give ourselves here. bigger bonuses. Yeah, we could, you know, uh, give something, give greater dividends to our shareholders or whatever. We can trim some of the fat we accumulated, which I don't think is, uh, you know, particularly good, obviously is particularly a bad thing for all of these employees. It's bad for individuals. Yeah. But yeah. You're, it sounds like you're saying it's a reasonable correction after massive. Overtime. I mean, if you think any like macro sense, yeah, certainly. Yeah. I think that we, none of these companies could really continue to grow forever. Right. All right. We're going to uh, do the change log then because Jeff has a trip to Pennsylvania in his future. I do indeed. And we're going to do the change log, get our final commercial in and our picks of the week all coming up. Oh, next. your camera is, um, it is keeps it zooming zoom, in and zoom, out. Zoom? It's doing the zoom. Uh, zoom. It's you giving know, the chat seasickness. I'm so sorry. Well, thank you for telling me. Let me. Oh, yeah. It Sometimes it just turns that on all by itself. <laughs> These machines, they think they have a mind of their own. It's it's a little uh, AGI saying, you know, we want to get closer, Leo. <laughs> and I, don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's what we want at all. I think uh, any intelligent machine would know. We just want to get true. That's the real Turing test. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know how that could, that's the second time that's turned itself on the, uh, the auto zoom feature. I don't know why. Uh, let me, uh, let me, uh, do the Google change log. If you would, John. The Google change log. From Android police. By the way, these are all from Jason Howell because I don't know why I'm just not interested. Google finally brings iOS's local weather feature to maps. On Android, Android, you can finally see what the weather's like real time where you are. This we've had this on iOS forever. I didn't know you couldn't do it. No, we were deprived. Maps. You were deprived. Well, congratulations. Um, lots of new uh, Android police pointing this out. Lots of new features coming to Maps and Calendar and weather and so forth. That's uh, that's great. Thank you, Google. Getting to work. Google Wallet has rolled out a new option, a photo option, which lets you digitize passes. 
I have to say, I was very skeptical when Apple came out with the Apple Watch and mm-hmm. the idea of using the Apple Wallet and all that stuff to pay for things. I use it all the time now. I use my it's my Clipper card. I I, I pay with my watch. Increasingly, those wallets I think are really the the way people your phone becomes. You know, my phone is my is my ID. I enjoy Ooh. tap to pay with the phone. It is I love this. So God, quick. it's so great. Yeah. So you'll see an update if you're a Pixel owner in particular uh, for Google Wallet, which adds photo for QR and barcode passes. So even on, I, I don't even know if the iPhone has this yet. Generally, if I buy a ticket to a concert or an airplane ticket, I'll get an email or a link in a, in a text message that I click that then opens the browser. And if you open the Safari browser, it'll have a save to wallet and then it goes into the wallet. That's the how I generally get stuff like tickets and passes into the wallet. But uh, now Google's going to give you a chance to scan. You could digitize a pass as long as it's got a barcode or QR code, which I think is a, a good nice. thing. I, I'm sure I'm Apple must allow that, but I, I don't, I don't think they do. I don't think I've seen that. Um, but boy, you know what? I love keeping everything in my wallet, in my virtual wallet on my phone. Google Wallet will also let you disable animations. So, and <laughs> this is something Apple does not do. It is really annoying when you complete a payment or you use a pass to get into a concert. You get a whoo, congratulations. You, you've been using Google technology. Uh, so annoying. <laughs> uh, it now can be disabled. So you just get a check mark. Or a Google Pay logo instead of some weird seasonal cartoon. Uh, that should be uh, in your wallet soon if it is. I didn't know people uh, complained about it that much for Google to now make this a feature where you can turn that. That on. you could turn it off. <laughs> I, I think this is very. I don't even notice Googly. it. I just tap and pay. I, I listen for the you, chime. Yeah, and there's a little chime on iPhones. And a very satisfying ka-ching and a haptic vibration. Haptic right. vibration is really satisfying. Yeah. It's very it's somehow satisfying, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. How do they do that? That's well, what I never, I never pay the animation any attention. But nobody wants a cartoon. I'm sorry, that's that's crazy. I will also correct the record, you can scan passes. Oh, okay. My phone camera. We've just re- we haven't run into it. We haven't run that's into true. it. Um now you can add your driver's license and state ID to Google Wallet. Arizona, Colorado, and Georgia have joined Maryland. Uh, I think that uh, this is also the case uh, with Apple's wallets in many, not many, a handful of states. It's hard for states because you have to upgrade your your uh, highway patrol so that they can use it. Uh, it's just a, it's a complicated thing. You really worry about security. Uh, <laughs> I've mentioned this before. Uh, California didn't want to use uh, Apple's wallet, so they just have their own DMV app, which is god awful. As one would expect, sure. <laughs> as one would expect from the uh, department, the fantastic California Department of Motor, Motor, Motor Vehicles. But I do have my wallet now on my phone. It's just not. I would feel much better if it were an Apple's wallet. There is a nice feature though: share my age, uh, which will do a a. a like if anybody thought I wasn't twenty one, much. You've got why. you've got the app for that. I don't know. I don't know why not. Uh, but I, without giving over my driver's license information, which you would normally do, you can actually have a QR code, a digital age val- validation, which is great. 
using something called True Age. Um, so anyway, while it's getting better, Google is tweaking Chrome's search bar, something they do about every five minutes. Uh, Chrome will now be able to fix your typos, search your bookmarks, and generally help you get where you're going without so many Google searches. Oh, yeah, that's good. We don't want to keep showing other people's sites. Just do it in Google. Um, <laughs> it, this is if you're in Chrome on the desktop or mobile, the browser will now try to correct URL typos. Typos. That's actually good because good. this is a security issue. I don't know if you remember the story where I was accidentally went to t v v i t t e r dot com and it looked just like Twitter. It was two v's, not a w, and it oh, of right. course was a malicious to log site. In. Yeah. Uh, so I, I didn't fool me, but, but that's an example, you know, these typos, people do typo squatting all the time on the web where they get, you know, just one letter off or, or something. So Google will try to fix this, um, in the Chrome, uh, address bar on Android and desktop. Google is rolling out, uh, Wear OS 4 to the original Pixel Watch. All five of you who own one of those, we should be very happy about that. <laughs> you just buy one, Leo. <laughs> no, and I'm glad I didn't. I don't. I got the Pixel Watch, and what is it, Pixel Watch Two? And I got to tell you, I can't quite figure out the pattern for charging. Is, is it you do this every day with your Apple Watch, sir? Yeah, you every night, every day, when every night. Charge when I go to bed, I have this hydra of buttons and knobs and pucks and. And connectors and I plug everything in it all goes in and then and when I wake up in the morning it's miraculously charged it is something so you I don't track your sleep people. with your watch because what about people that want to track their sleep when do they don't be dumb don't sleep with your watch stop it knock it off this if is you, the thing if you wear I have glasses, an Apple watch but I keep forgetting to charge it so you young God people, knows where it is you young people I swear to God I can't it happens every time it happened just the other day some young person gets in the car and says, my daughter, do you have a cable? <laughs> I literally <laughs> just checked my phone. It's at 20%, Leo. I'm yeah, going to plug it in right now. You didn't charge it overnight? What do you need a cable for? I didn't charge it overnight. What's wrong with people? Get in the habit, young people. And Listen, also, it's hard to charge it overnight when you fall asleep looking at your phone. That's, that's what, I think that's what's going on. I think that's exactly. It's exact. I'm not. I'm not going to pretend I'm above Let's it. Let's be honest. It is why. Yeah. 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 And the thing is, it's too bad because they're making phones heavier. So when you fall asleep and it hits your head, uh, it's not great. It's bad. You know, yeah. you've got to lay in an appropriate way so that you can balance oh, it. It's, you lie, it's rough. You lie sideways there, so that yeah, you know, just that I can falls keep from your hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, hilarious! God. Sad we are. This twenty-first century, uh, YouTube is getting AI-powered abs that lets abs no ads. <laughs> I have AI-powered abs that br let's let's brands. They're, they're, target they're imaginary. Yes, yeah, yeah they're imaginary. Really. They're in my head. <laughs> they're artificial. Uh, <laughs> So uh, the idea is to leverage AI to automatically identify the most popular YouTube videos related to a cultural moment. Halloween's coming up, right? Um, or it could be the Oscars or the Super Bowl or whatever. The advertiser then is able to serve ads on that video rep re referencing like, hey, it's Halloween. Did you buy any circus peanuts this week on the, on the YouTube channel? 
So uh, apparently, the, one of the biggest ad agencies in the world, Group M, is already starting this a, with this AI-powered mm-hmm. offering. Uh, the example that TechCrunch gives is, uh, I'm looking at the YouTube Culture Hub, which apparently has a lot of stuff for Halloween, and there's a big ad right across the top for spooky season. So, of course, AI is now being used. <laughs> you knew it happened to weaponize advertising. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of time. Uh, and that's the Google change. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, we shall pick things, our picks of the week coming up. Our show today brought to you just as our studio is by our great friends at ACI learning. I know sometimes people say, well, who's that? Your great friends. IT pro TV now is called ACI learning when they got together. It got so much better. I mean, we've always loved IT Pro TV, but now they can do so much more. And what a great time to have IT training, whether it's you as an individual trying to get into IT or you've got an IT team that you need to keep upskilled. There's no better place than ACI learning. 94% of CIOs and CISOs agree the number one job is attracting and retaining talent. And that's good news. If you've got the certs and the skills to work in IT, there is, there's never been a better time to get into it. And if you're already working in IT, there's never been a better time to increase your skill set, increase your knowledge, get a raise, get a promotion, get a better job at ACI Learning. 7,200 hours of content, consistently adding new content every day, every week. They've got seven studios running Monday through Friday all day because... The tests change, the certs change, the software changes. You got to be current. And all of their stuff is. And it's not, they're not just throwing spaghetti against the wall. They bring in content experts, people who are working in the field, who have a passion and a love for what they're talking about. And that communicates to you. That makes the videos engaging, entertaining, and informative. And it's exactly why ACI's learning completion rate is 50% higher than the competition. People finish those videos. Because they're good, which is nice because if you're giving your team training through ACI Learning, you want them to like it. You want them to take the classes. They've just uh, announced a new product, Cyber Skills. This is a way to train even the non-IT department because these days security, uh, the, the security and safety of your organization relies on everybody who works there. Cyber Skills is a training tool for all members of your organization. Cybersecurity awareness training for non IT professionals. You want to check that out. With cyber skills, you'll get flexible on-demand training. Covers everything from password security and phishing scams to malware prevention, network safety. Uh, easy to follow material. In fact, it starts with a one-hour course overview in which your employees will get attack-specific training. There's knowledge check assessments based on the common threats they're going to encounter on a daily basis. And then there are bonus courses they can take. And because they're so good, people want these documentary-style episodes where you can learn more about how phishing attacks work and how people perpetrate them and cyber attacks and, and breaches even in their own uh, lives. It's it's great learning, really a great package. Cyber skills, just part of ACI Learning's uh, incredible uh, a brand, range of topics and, and content to help you invest in your team, to help you entrust them to thrive and increase the entire security of your business. Boost your enterprise cybersecurity confidence today with ACI Learning. Be bold. Train smart. 
Visit go.acilearning.com slash twit. Because you're listening to our show, you'll get a big discount up to 65% off an IT Pro Enterprise Solution Plan. It's based on your team size. So go to the website, go.acilearning.com slash twit. Fill out the form. You'll get a proper quote and as much as 65% off. They're great savings for individuals as well. Go.acilearning.com slash twit. Yes, indeed. Our friends at IT Pro TV and ACI Learning. What a partnership. What a great product. Go.acilearning.com slash twit. It is now time for our ritualistic picks of the week. (laughs) And uh, we always start, I think, uh, with Paris. We should, right? Yes. Paris is thing of the week. We always Um, should. Yeah. So my pick of the week this week is a browser-based game that just launched called Trust and Safety Tycoon um, from the folks at <laughs> oh, Tech Dirt. They oh, previously, I love this. Oh, they oh, previously did so a good. really great uh, game called Moderator Mayhem. Where it was so hard. You, I got a perfect score. What? You know, we you have to pretend to be I, I a content moderator. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so and hard. It's, It's difficult. Well, this one's supposed to be even harder. Um, It is like a game where essentially you are leading a trust and safety or a a rapidly scaling social media startup. (laughs) So you have to do a lot of different things. You've got to like both make policy decisions on what content you're going to uh, allow or not, but also like manage your team and keep them happy. Yeah. Start a new game, John. Let's do this. Let's play it. Okay. Uh, this you get to play the uh, trust and safety team. It starts with I'm the founder and CEO of Yapper. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to meet social- the CEO, and then we're going to go to IPO. <laughs> a new social media company. Uh, I'll pop in occasionally to ask you for feedback and weigh in on a situation. So I remember. I mean, this was the fun thing about uh, the moderator mayhem is you would be given situations and have to moderate them and you were timed too, right? Yeah. You had to do like make a decision in like, uh, you know, 10, Where's AGI? Seconds. Well, oh, this, humans, I think humans still have to do this job. So how no, hard I'm saying is this? In the company ethos doesn't, it doesn't have, um, uh, trying to reach AGI. This isn't open AI. This is yapper. Yapper. This yapper is, not is really important. Wow. This seems, <laughs> these are fun and what they do and mike Mazik's brilliant at this is really give you an insight into how hard this stuff is it's, so we've got to keep uh ceo confidence up and conversational okay. health okay. in the health area okay well there's a lot of clicking in here a lot yeah, of reading yeah uh one of your responsibilities is to keep an eye on yappers user feedback feedback inbox you log in to find a few complaints. Oh, here's one. A user's emailed you to complain that another user has uploaded an ugly landscape image they made in Microsoft Paint. The complaint is bad artwork does not belong on the platform. That hurts their eyes. So oh. do you ignore the complaint and let the post stay or take down the post? Ignore. Ignore, ignore it. Ignore the complaint. Bad art is not a reason to complain. This is amateur art. This is a ridiculous complaint, a waste of your time. Hopefully, you won't get many more annoying requests like this one. So, so far, so good. A user has written a post offering their services as a hitman, <laughs> listing their rates, and a secure message, a secure way to message them. You know, interestingly, the secure way to message them 
is the signal phone number 267-767-8655. I don't know. That seems odd, but okay. Strange, you know. Mm. You're just going to have to message to find out. <laughs> Multiple users have emailed you to complain about the post. Your lawyer, ah, your lawyer says, hosting posts that, posts that advertise a clearly illegal behavior will expose Yapper to significant legal liability. So we what do you do? We wouldn't want to do that to Yapper. Do you keep the post? the post? Obviously not. But you I take it down it. or take it down and ban the user. I think we have to take it down and ban the user, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I moderate twit.social all by myself. And I'm so are you these... taking down a lot of hitmen? If there uh, were a hitman, <laughs> I would absolutely not only take down the post, but ban the user. Wow. And uh, conversational health has increased. Good. So that's good. We did the right thing. Anyway, it's fun. Yeah, By this is what I'm going to do. Moderator speed after isn't this, very fast, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, Streamberry is back. <laughs> okay, this is fun. Uh, good pick. Uh, oh, I like that. You can start with the article uh, uh, at uh, techdirt.com or go directly to Trust and Safety Tycoon at trustandsafety.fun. What do you know? Does I mean I don't. I should ask Mike, but does he designs them and they? Then as a team, software team working with it or? Um, yeah, I them? believe that they partnered with a like video game or software company. Um, I'm forgetting the name of it. Maybe it was in the last one here. Yeah. Co Copia? Leverage Copia. Play? Yeah. yeah. Copia, Copia, that's his institute. That's him. That's Mike. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Copia Mike. Gaming and his partner, Randy Lubin of Lever Leverage Play. Yeah. And there's no charge for this. Mike is just... He's doing it for the I, good of society, I, so we can finally like, learn this stuff. He's like Saint Francis. He is. He's amazing. He's just he's just he's giving it all, not caring about making any money. Thank you, Mike, oh. and thank you for that pick. That was a good one, yeah. Mister Jeff Jarvis. Usually right, so a number, I need, but I need you your help. Pick. I need your help yes. here because yes. one thing you'll learn here, Paris, if you stick around, is that I'm very bad at making certain decisions, like buying computers and things. Oh, <laughs> so I need to replace my. Uh, Pixelbook uh, Go. Um, and so Mike, uh, uh, um, Kevin Toffel loves his Chromebook Spin 714. From Acer. But now yeah. we have the Chromebook Plus line out. And he tested the Lenovo IdeaPad Flex 5i and said it was about as good. And he really liked it. I went to the store, went to Best Buy, where you can actually see these now. And the HP, not the wildly expensive, more than a thousand dollar one, but the HP two in one 14 inch. Um, really nice build, really kind of what the size I want. Everything's great. I was ready to do it. It's Core i3 last year's eight gigs, 256. Really like it. And then Kevin said, Oh, but Jeff, it has only 250 nits. Oh, no. Is mm. that too low? <laughs> no. It's not. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I was I was nitpicking nits all day today, trying to look and compare computers and figure okay, it out. But is eight gigabytes of RAM going to be enough for you? For Chromebook, yes. Yeah, Chrome great. it is. Oh, I guess. Do yeah, you, you see, uh, it would only make a difference if you worked in daylight a lot. But you're like I go on the deck. But well, it won't be ideal for the deck. You know, the new yeah. Pixel uh, 8 Pro is 2400, 2400 nits peak brightness. But it's HDR. You probably don't see that brightness all the time or right. ever. This is LED versus screen. LCD. 
That makes a difference. That doesn't matter. That's just doesn't the matter. Okay. Every, it's an LCD with it. So, I, I, so I don't know what to get. Or yeah. I can spend $1,000. It's a little dim. To get to the HP expensive one. Well, how many nits is that? It's like 400. 350, 400. Hmm. You, and you weren't able to look at the HP. No, the expensive one is not anywhere. You have to order from yeah. HP. Well, you can always return it. I don't, I don't know. Aunt, is that too too? Deep? I, I, I'm going brighter. That two two fifty. That's that's oh, really damn. It's really low. Really As we get older, shit. we like more uh, brighter screens, don't we? Yeah. But okay. I have to say, it's always been said that people you run their uh, computer screens much brighter than they should. We've all yeah, been that, kind of that's conditioned. true. But he, if he's going to be out on the deck, he's really going to be pissed yeah. off at them two hundred fifty minutes. If you're so. sitting in the dark, that's plenty. Yeah. If you're sitting inside, that's plenty. Since you go out, don't forget, I hate dark mode, which means I like late mode. Either which way, which means you probably you don't go run outside. your computer as bright as other people. Because <laughs> if you did, you would hate light mode. Yeah. No, I like light mode. Look at Paris's background. That's it's, it's that's how the here. world should be. That's exactly <laughs> this is the beautiful. East Coast experience. Leo. That right there is 250 <laughs> yes. nits. That's it. All right, I got a knit to Philadelphia. So, <laughs> all right, <laughs> we can't, we haven't helped you. I think any of these would be fine. Honestly, I like HP and Lenovo better than Acer, but it can uh -huh. really vary in, in the product. You know what I hate is some of them are nice, screen, but the the, um, the Acer one, the screen when it's back, it's below the bottom of the chassis, and when it's on my lap, it's like a princess in the pea moment for me. I don't like that line cutting across my thigh. Yeah. It pisses yeah. me off. That's because it's the spin that goes all the way around. Yeah, yeah. But, the, but the HP spins around, but it doesn't do that. Huh. I right. would say get HP. You'll okay. get a brighter screen. Brighter it's screen. A great product. You mean the expensive HP. Brighter screen, period. <laughs> well, you know, you're saying get the 14-inch 699 HP or the $1,000 HP? Oh, you don't need the $1,000. That's the, that's the brighter one. Oh. This is the HP is two fifty. The HP is two fifty. Oh, brighter. Unfortunately, why don't you ask on that Twitter thing you like so much? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get the Twitter Twitter users involved. All right. Yeah, ask Nitwit what they think about. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> well played. All right, well Twitter played. nits. How many nits is not enough? Oh, Mr. Aunt Pruitt, <laughs> pick of the week. Mine is pretty simple. Um, I believe the YouTube account is called Prometheus, and I swear this is this channel is has to has the most beautiful footage of coffee. <laughs> I don't know what camera he's using. I don't know what lens he's using, but it's always beautiful. And I do know that there's usually a large window that's casting light into the scene. So yeah, it's, it's diffused light, light and yeah. it's just absolutely beautiful. And every now and then he does some talking head stuff, but just as this one particular video is coffee time, my morning espresso, and it's a bit of AS, ASMR. So there's nothing going on, but the sounds of the process. And that ain't it. That sounds good. S Prometheus's uh, Instagram says <clears throat> he is the internet's, unfriendliest barista <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was i just followed him though on insta because but if you look I at like that coffee. youtube video is 4k and it's just so beautiful <clears throat> i don't know what well that you know that's the other the thing is that machine Ooh, yeah that's wow. an expensive machine. that is a beautiful machine 
But it is that machine. It is so well done. So if yeah. you're into he's trying to get you to buy this so that watch he can this. get your cast off, Leo. That's what he's doing. I know what he's doing. Oh, is that it? That's you want me to doing. buy the San Remo espresso so you can have my yeah my I'll, Breville I'll take Oasis? Look at, Look at how clear that Oasis. is. Look at the color, the color correction and color grading done in this. Just beautiful you drink enough coffee uh you know anything can look better <laughs> you don't need was, the nits if you got yeah. the coffee i don't need the nits actually i should ask i want to get my mom at one of those easy pod coffee makers because she's not she wants better coffee yeah which is the best one is it the uh is it nespresso is that one better than the one we have at work Nespresso's which is pretty good nespresso is pretty good is that yeah. the better? Of if the, you're talking about ease for quality, ease. I feel like Nespresso is the way to go. Yeah. Okay. Because we have the other one, whatever that one is. We have we have Keurig and we also have a Nespresso Espresso machine there at the studio. We have an Espresso machine at the studio? Nespresso Espresso. Yep. Nespresso is... No, we have an Illy. No, that is an Illy. Yeah. It's an, an Illy. Illy. Yeah, no, yeah. So you think I should really get... Good. She doesn't want Espresso. She wants good coffee. But get the Nespresso version. Okay. It's Deal. I know pods are not good for the world, but she's old. Or, you can, okay. or given, given her age, you can get a percolator, which is what I grew up. <laughs> I'm going to get her. No. She never was. You know what? When I grew up, we had a Chemex. She would, they were great. I have a Chemex, and it's great. Yeah, it's nice. yeah. We had the percolator on all day. Oh, no. No, no, my Chemex is the way to go. Chemex is where aren't those great? I don't know why. When this is the sixties, when they first came out, we had them. Oh, uh, my whole life. Yeah. Do you now when you use the Chemex, do you get special filters or do you? Because when I, we had them, there were circles, and you fold them into quarters, and then you put it in. Is it still mine? Like that? Are the classic mm. Chemex filters? Classic. They come pre-folded, so they're oh, okay. just. Um, it looks okay. almost like computer paper or whatever. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. It's fantastic. The filters are perfect. Yep. I've tried other options for it and they don't taste as good. It's great. I perfect. You're going to have to go get her a thing. Is she's, I don't know if she can have a kettle in there. All right. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, I yeah, don't think it, unless she's really into the process of making coffee, it's I think more work is probably what overkill. most people want it's, to do. It's, yeah, it's the so old you've got to grind it to the yeah. right yeah, get you know, the thing. You've got to make sure that you yeah. pour it in the right way. It's not worth it. Okay. Yep. So between Keurig, Illy, and Nespresso, Nespresso. Oh, Nespresso. All right. Should be Thank fine. you. See? See, we did buying suggestions here as well. Paris Martineau is at the information. She is fantastic. Yes, she is. We're begging her, begging her, pleading with her to make this a regular Our audience uh, is begging thing. for this to happen. Yeah, but, but listen, um, I'm on the same side, guys. Love <laughs> All I have to do is send a fruit basket to Jessica Lesson and it'll be a done deal, especially if there's a $10,000 bill in there. <laughs> you can oh, it's read her writing that's at the information.com. Subscription cost. Yeah. You, About, can, yeah. you can message her at Signal. We get where she's getting the good tips at 267 767 8655. Uh, and she's at Paris Martineau on the blue sky. Seven, nine, or is seven, that on the six, X? Five, five. Um, I'm at Paris Martineau on blue sky and on, or I'm at Paris Martineau on Twitter. Yeah. For, also known as X. And I'm at Paris.nyc on blue sky. That's right. Oh. Would you prefer that we follow you on blue sky? Either way works. I you post on both. I don't particularly care yet. I don't oh, know. So you're I'm cross post. 
I crossed post currently. Uh, I haven't left Twitter. I'm still hopelessly addicted to it, even though it makes me sad. Um, Blue Sky, I think, probably has a better experience on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, old habits. You almost convinced me to go to Blue Sky now. It's good. It's good. I mean, I think you should go to Blue Sky. I think we all should. I, I, I post on there. Yeah. I want to pick one. I mean, I, I'm on all of them. And of course, I will. Which isn't a really tenable Mastodon. solution, but it's kind of where we yeah, all are right now. You kind of want to be in one spot where everybody else is. Ooh. Except for, I think problem. Jeff posts a lot on every platform I've seen. Mm-hmm. How do you know? You can't shut me up. That's basically what it is. That's fair. Stir. We, uh, we learned, much to my dis- dismay, a couple of months ago that Jeff actually tweets while he's on the show <laughs> I got okay, do you think people don't tweet while on the show what you um, too no. i don't think i did right now because no. i've been kind of off a twitter kick but i've definitely <laughs> tweeted while on the show before yeah thank, thank you this is why paris is you the, gotta paris fits right in listen yep. i like Jarvis. to tweet while on the show at least someone you know. all right i gotta go to philadelphia jeff jarvis he's on his way to philly you can find him. I don't know. He's a professor or something. Okay. You can find him on the road. Yeah. And, and find him on the road. And, and of course, the Association of Internet com. Researchers. It's going to be a fun time. Get out of here. Go away. The long one. Of course, he plays the long one. Craig Oh, we got, we got. Interpretive dance. <laughs> Amp Pruitt is at amppruitt.com. You catch him, of course, in our wonderful club tweet where he's a community manager. Uh, we, when's the escape box is next week, right? Yes, sir. The escape pod and or escape box will be next week, next Thursday, 3 p.m. Club. We'll all be trying to get only. out of a box, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that'll okay, be a lot of fun. Only. That's club twit members only if you're not a member yet. Ad-free versions of all our shows. Lots of fun in the Discord with animated GIFs and escape boxes and all sorts of things. We even have our own Minecraft server for Club Twit members. And then, of course, uh, you get uh, the special stuff that we only put out in Club Twit, like Scott Wilkinson's Home Theater Geeks, Aunt Pruitt, does all sorts of great events. $7 a month. It's wonderful. Join twit.tv slash Club Twit. We do This Week in Google. Every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. That would be uh, 2000 UTC. Uh, I don't I know. I quit trying. Right? Our audience is smart enough to 2100 find it. UTC, <laughs> 2 o'clock. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we're going to change in two weeks anyway. So don't don't memorize it. If you want to watch live, though, go to live.twit.tv. Look, there's always something going on there. Live.twit.tv, audio and video streams. If you're live there, chat with us in the Discord. We'll see you there. After the fact, on-demand versions of the show available at twit.tv slash twig. You can also go to the YouTube channel. There's a video, dedicated video channel uh, at youtube.com slash this week in Google. And then finally, of course, the best thing to do is subscribe in your favorite podcast client. That way you'll get it automatically every Wednesday evening right after we're done. All right, kids. Jeff's off to Philly. I'm off to dinner. Paris is off to bicycle to her woodworking class. I've got to go to Bushwick, baby. Bushwick, baby. That feels as long as Philly, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) And it's got a a glass of something delicious to uh, consume. I hope you do too. Oh, we will yeah. see you next time right here on This Week in Google. Bye-bye. 
Come join us on This Week in Enterprise Tech Expert Coast and I talk about the enterprise world and we're joined by industry professionals and trailblazers like CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, every acronym role plus IT pros and marketeers. And we talk about technology, software plus services, security, you name it, everything under the sun. You know what? I learn something each and every week and I bet you, you will too. So definitely join us. And of course, check out the twit.tv website and click on This Week in Enterprise Tech to subscribe today. 